Metallica. Here they come, the kings of metal. Hey, this is Rob Dietrich, master distiller for Black and American Whiskey. Listen to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Melop Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 315, and we are welcoming back for the third time our good friend, Mr. Avi Vinegar. Welcome back, Avi. And Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. Tis the season. I hope that Santa brought everyone a nice thing, even though he did break and enter into your home. Yeah, you might want to call the authorities. You might want to let somebody know, and you may want to make sure that uh, your jewelry is still there. Because it's hard times. Do you think the economic difficulties don't affect the North Pole also? Oh, inflation in the North Pole is insane right now. There's a supply chain issue that even reaches as far as to Mr. and Mrs. Claus. And while he's, you know, giving your kids uh, whatever the new toys are, some Roblox emotes, for example, <laughs> he might have been fishing around for uh, your expensive stuff because he's got to pay the bills, too. He's got to keep the lights on up there. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Santa flying around the sky, but I mean, that dude wears some bling. So Right. I think he has a, a whole diamond grill. These yeah, days. there's actually hydraulics on his sleigh now, too. <laughs> totally. It's pretty wild. Well, listen, however you celebrate, uh, it's a fun time of year. And uh, as of the recording of this or as a dropping of this, Christmas will have already happened. So I hope everyone's having a good holiday season. We're going to talk to Avi a little later all about the All Within My Hands gig. He was very generous with his time. We're going to read some emails, talk about the party. Got a couple of things happening in the news uh, this is an exciting moment for me. Dylan has weighed in on Metallica and admitted that he has seen the band two times. Okay. Now, Dylan is a very mysterious man. Probably, I'm actually going to go ahead and give him the certificate of being the most mysterious man in all of rock and roll. That's probably true. And I would imagine based off of uh, maybe that audition story with G.E. Smith, I don't know if Metallica knew he was at those shows. He was probably lurking in the shadows. He's definitely not the guy that's going to like have his manager. He's not the guy that's going to go talk to them after. Right. I mean, maybe he would. He, he's such a weird guy. So he's promoting a book. He's got a, a book called The Philosophy of Modern Song, which I am excited to read, but it's $45. Oh, wow. So I'm maybe going to wait on the paperback on that one. Yeah, for sure. But it's, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest, I'll say one of, although I think he probably is the greatest, but one of the greatest songwriters of our time talking about songwriting. If you're mm -hmm. interested in that kind of thing, if you're interested in writing songs, maybe check that book out. That's pretty cool. But he's, so he's doing press for it. And I'm telling you, you can... I've done it. You can scour the internet for Bob Dylan interviews. The dude's been making music since like 62. You'll find maybe 15 interviews, maybe mm -hmm. 20. The dude does not talk to people. That's so crazy. But he's promoting this book. So he did an interview with Jeff Slate of the Wall Street Journal. And the, the whole thing is pretty interesting. But here's a few interesting nuggets. And of course, the you know it's colliding with Metallica. When asked how he discovers new music, Dylan said it happens, quote unquote, mostly by accident, by chance. He later explained how his peers, artists and songwriters, uh, make recommendations, many of whom he's seen live. In a list of acts such as the Claxons, Julia Casablancas, Jack White, and the Oasis Brothers, and Royal Blood, 
Dylan mentioned that he's seen Metallica twice. Mm, he gave no follow up as to his experience. I'm reading this from Loudwire, by the way. Okay. He gave no follow up to his experience at the shows, but the fact that he decided to see them again after the first time makes us think he has a secret collection of Metallica t-shirts. So yeah, he's seen them two times, which uh, I guess he liked it the first time. Well, that's pretty cool. Do you think it would be a Dylan move to just buy a ticket? Like yeah, like the the last seat in the nosebleeds, like way up there, when no one's going to bother him. For sure. Like I could see, I could see so many different ways of it happening, but it is definitely not beyond him to just buy a ticket or have like one of his people just buy a ticket. Mm-hmm. And then he just gets driven there. There's a really famous story about he's obsessed with normal people. Yeah. Because he's not been one almost his entire life. He often walks around neighborhoods. This is a really weird story. <laughs> okay. He was walking around. So he's playing an arena somewhere. He's he's on what's called the never ending tour. And that's not just a clever title. Mm-hmm. He has been on a tour that has not stopped since like 88. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's called the never ending tour. He lives on the road when he's not making records. He's on the road. Very mysterious guy. Mm-hmm. He was walking around. It was raining and stormy. He's got a hood on famous hood draped over. No one can see him. And he's just looking through the windows at people living normally in their homes. Well, one of these people called the cops. Because they thought he was like a vagrant, you know? Sure. Cops pick him up and they're like, can I see some ID? And he's like, I'm Bob Dylan. And they're like, oh my God, yeah, right. They look at his license. They're like, well, where can we take you, Bob Dylan? (laughs) He's like, "Uh, whatever the arena is called, you know? And the the cops drive him to this arena. His tour manager is freaking out. He's like, I've been looking for you everywhere, you know? And like, holy shit, this really is Bob Dylan. He just wanted to see how the normal people live. He also like got picked up because he, he wanted to see Neil Young's childhood home. So he just sort of on his own just disappeared from the camp and like went and found when they were up in Ontario, just went yeah. or wherever, Manitoba, wherever Neil's from. It's sad in a way. You know what I mean? It's it's an interesting thing that he does. Well, yeah, especially at his age now. I mean, he's he's what, late 70s, early 80s? I think he's early 80s. And, you know, to, to, even to imagine him currently just like venturing off from the tour, it's like it's not like he's, you know, he's in his 40s, 50s or even 60s. It's like, dude, this dude's like he's up there. You know, it, it like the, it could be at the point where it's like, uh, we lost him again. Like, what, what do we do with Bob? There's just something so sweet about him in, in his late stage of life, wanting to see Neil Young's childhood home. Mm-hmm. He did that with Hank Williams, too. Yeah, yeah. He goes on these like little pilgrimages. He goes on these little um yeah, like spiritual journeys to try to connect with that thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I get that. That's cool. What would you do if uh, if you looked out your window and saw a, a, a hooded guy and then you kind of walked out and be like, hey, man, can I help you? Realize it was Bob Dylan. I mean, you're going to invite him in, right? I mean, if I didn't shoot him first, then yeah. We 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 do the gun thing over here. So, right. yeah, if, any, if anyone's creeping through my house and my windows, I might shoot them, you know? Yeah. Um, I would hope it wouldn't be him, <laughs> but if I notice he was Bob Dylan, yeah, I'm inviting him in. He can stay with us. Uh, I'm going to make him some cookies, you know, whatever he wants, whatever Bob wants, Bob gets. Let me make you a normal plate of okra. Yeah. I was big on okra the other night. Okay. He also talked about Duff McKagan. I thought this was interesting too, of all people. So in the same answer to how he discovers new music, Dave gave the interviewer a beautiful description of Duff McKagan's song, Chip Away from Duff McKagan's second solo album, Tenderness. So now this is an album that I would wager you haven't heard, I haven't heard, and right. almost any of our listeners have heard, but Bob Dylan heard it. Cool. So this is him talking about a Duff McKagan deep cut from a Duff McKagan's second solo album. He says, that song has profound meaning for me. It's a graphic song, chip away, chip away, like Michelangelo breaking up solid marble stone to discover the form of King David inside. He didn't build him from the ground up. He chipped away the stone until he discovered the king. It's like my own songwriting. I overwrite something, then I chip away lines and phrases until I get to the real thing. Mm. It's a great song. How about that? As Duff McKagan, that's got to feel pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. like, 
The dude has never gotten any cred as a songwriter his entire yeah. storied career. And now Bob Dylan is saying he's got some, you know, check out Duff McKagan's second album, dude. I know. It. It's like, it's one thing if he was like, hey, I, I snuck into a Guns N' Roses show and they were great live. But it's like, oh, I dipped into the to Guns N' Roses bass player's second solo album. Well, that's the thing. And that's why the book is so interesting. So it's like the, the philosophy of modern song, like I've thumbed through it at Barnes & Noble and stuff. It's it's him just taking some of his favorite songs and breaking them down. Yeah. And, you know, there's a few songs you might recognize, but it's mostly stuff you've never heard of. He's just such an encyclopedia of obscure music. And he had a radio show on XM for a long time, too. And it would just be like him playing his favorite songs. And it's, you know, he's not playing, you know, Boys of Summer. Right. Yeah. He's not even playing Woody Guthrie. He's not even playing This Land is Your Land. He's playing stuff that from a deep well. All right, so check this out. This is the last Dylan thing. Jeff Slade also asked him if the way that you hear a song the first time matters. And Dylan admits something most fans of music know. So this is Dylan talking. He says, the relationship you have to a song can change over time. However, he also notes that the first time you hear a song is significant. To make his point clear, he turns to Ronnie James Dio. He says, Stargazer, the Ronnie James Dio song, would probably mean a lot more to you if you first heard it at midnight under a full moon beneath an expanding universe than if you first heard it in the middle of a dreary day with rain pouring down. Wow. <laughs> so he's talking about Dio now. I love it. Oh, my God. And nothing wrong with Dio, man. I mean, Bob Dylan likes Duff McKagan. He likes Dio. He likes Metallica. <laughs> I just love that he, it's just, he's just such a, still such a surprising artist. All right, so that's a bit of a two worlds colliding sitch for me. Uh, in a little bit sadder news, Metallica's been in a lawsuit with a touring company over the canceled, I think it's a South America dates. I've got the article here. Because they're trying to say that basically COVID, the reason that they couldn't do the tour is COVID. They still should get the insurance. Right, yeah. That's why you get insurance. Yeah. Well, the insurance companies, you know, their job, other than providing the insurances to try to get out of paying it to you. Here, I'm going to read a little bit of this. This is from Metal Injection, which we got friends over at Metal Injection. Shout out to them. Doing good work over there, reporting the metal news. A California judge ruled that Metallica's insurance company, Lloyd's of London, does not need to compensate them for financial losses after six South American shows were canceled in April of 2020. According to the decision handed down by L.A. Superior Court Judge Holly Fuji, the travel restrictions which caused the concert cancellations were a direct response to the burgeoning COVID-19 pandemic. The evidence demonstrates that the COVID pandemic spurred the travel restrictions to South America and restrictions on public gatherings. The COVID-19 pandemic was therefore the efficient proximate cause of the concert. So most insurance companies have what's generally called an act of God clause, mm -hmm. where if something crazy happens in the world that they consider under an act of God, a tornado, a hurricane, a natural disaster, then that doesn't count. And Metallica was basically trying to say it wasn't just COVID. It was the travel restrictions. It was blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They're trying to basically say it was a bigger umbrella than just COVID. And the judge was like, no, this all was COVID. Sorry, you're not going to get the payout. Right, right. Okay. Um, according to Metallica's original lawsuit filed in Los Angeles Superior Court, the band's cancellation, abandonment, and non-appearance insurance was denied. Now stems from Lloyd's citation of the policy's communicable disease exclusion, which Metallica claimed is a quote-unquote unreasonable restrictive interpretation of the policy. So this is all just, and, and by the way, keep in mind, this isn't Napster. This isn't Lars Ulrich in the courtroom trying to get, be greedy and get money. This is yeah. what businesses do. You know, it behooves the business muckety-mucks of Metallica to try to get this insurance money. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It behooves the insurance company to fight it. It's a complicated, murky situation with COVID, and Metallica lost. Yeah, that's how it listen, happens that way sometimes. You that's know, they, they, they fought hard and, and even a band that big that has, you know, that much money behind them, like they they can still lose cases. It's not like they're, you know, so powerful they're going to win everything. So uh, it's a bummer, though. I mean, it just seems um, it seems pretty clear to me that COVID is the reason that they didn't do those shows. So yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I get them trying to get their money, but I don't see the fault in the ruling. Honestly, I think it's a fair ruling. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree. We just, my daughter's um, been watching a lot of adult movies with me. We've okay. been watching, she's, we've been watching a lot of prison movies. So we watched uh, The Great Escape, the great Steve McQueen movie from the 60s. We watched Escape from Alcatraz. Oh, okay. The Clint Eastwood film from the 70s. We watched Shawshank Redemption. Ooh, how, how'd she feel about that? She's loving these movies. Awesome. She's loving them. And then uh, we watched The Green Mile. Ooh, The Green Mile's great. Filmed in Tennessee. Yeah. There's a really great scene where Paul Edgecombe, played by Tom Hanks, is starting to become convinced that John Coffey might not have killed these two girls because John Coffey, he's learning, has these healing properties, right? He Mm -hmm. heals his prostate issue. So he goes out to visit John Coffey's lawyer, who is Gary Sinise. Right. And it's a great, great little part by Gary Sinise. And Gary Sinise basically believes that John Coffey did do it. There's this one point where where, um, Tom Hanks is like, but you defended him. And Gary Sinise says, well, every man deserves a fair trial. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. I don't know why I tied that into Metallica losing an insurance claim, but I guess I just wanted to brag on my daughter for watching all these movies and kind of really getting the the spirit of them too. Like really understand, yeah. like she really understood Andy Dufresne's uh, misery and yeah. his, his complicated situation having been been in because you know Andy Dufresne's in prison for murdering his wife, which he did not do. Yeah, and then the sort of crooked warden gets him in his money laundering racket, and when he can be exonerated by this kid that comes in, they just kill the kid. Mm-hmm. So Andy Dufresne is just stuck there in this nightmare, not yeah. you know doing the machinations of the evil warden. Yeah, he's totally screwed. At what point are, are you and Nova going to sit down and watch the Nicolas Cage Sean Connery classic, The Rock? <laughs> the, the Rock might the rocks might be on the list. <laughs> Speaking of Alcatraz, well, so we watched Escape from Alcatraz, and she was like, "I was like, you know, they closed Escape from they closed Alcatraz like a year after this movie was filmed." She was like, "Good." I do not like Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> well, she may not. If you ever go to San Francisco with her, maybe she, maybe she'll want to visit. Maybe I already won't. told her. I was like, we can go. Vi-. I was like, you know, we can actually see the cell where Frank, you know, carved out the whatever it was that he carved out in the wall and the paper mache heads that they made and stuff. Right. We did do Ernest Scared Stupid, and I want to do Ernest Goes to Jail. Oh, nice, nice. More movies filmed in Tennessee. Yeah, exactly. Leave us a positive review on iTunes. I went and looked the other day, and we have like almost 700 reviews on iTunes. Hell yeah. Which is really, really cool. If you haven't done that yet, it's real easy. It's real quick. Go do it. It helps us. And then I want to say thank you to two new patrons, Matthew Gagney and Stefan Burns. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. All aboard. Keeping the lights on at Metal Your Podcast Industries. We uh, are on all the socials. You know what they are. We got a party coming up. Dude, it's coming up real quick. As, as this episode is airing, we're, we're just over two weeks away, January 14th at Vinyl Tap in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be a good time. Uh, our good friend Kurt Ozon was texting me last night. He's like, hey, I want to come to your party. I was like, hey, it's, it's not an invite thing. You live really close enough to walk. So yeah, just come on. Kurt's going to be there. Uh, there's a good chance that Joe and Lizzie from Hailstorm will be there again. They've attended the last two because they're sweetie pies. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have a good time down there. So if you haven't made your plans yet, now is the time. It's not too late. You can still come. All right. Easiest way to get a hold of us, Metal Free Podcast Show at gmail.com. We are going to read a few emails, check in with the community, and then we're going to have an in-depth discussion with Avi Vinegar all about the All Within My Hands 2022 show. So stick around. Let's kick it to the email corner. Let's go. Okay, our first email is from Julio Lazarte. Good day and how do mother and father? Having the consistency of your friendship at the reach of my fingertips and eardrums has been a blessing. Just like every other listener, I've gone through some challenging times and having a moment away from life's challenges with you guys has been great. 
I would climb the beanstalk just to play Luxaturna on giant speakers, no pun intended, for all the world, and, and who knows, maybe I could skydive down after soiling, soiling my pants. <laughs> Lastly, uh, I think it'd be fun to see a crossover episode with the Pirate Satellite and A to Z someday in the future, just to see how great it would be or see it crash and burn. I <laughs> uh, hope you guys are having a great day, and thanks for all you do from Julio. Uh, well, the Pirate Satellite is a defunct podcast now, so... But A to Z is still going strong, and I was already on Pirate Satellite. That's, that's you can right. go, you can go listen to that wherever you get fine podcasts. That's right. That's a fun listen because that was pre Metal Up Your Podcast, they, in, which also included the unboxing of my Freddy Krueger bobblehead. Yeah, that's right. I forgot so, about that. Yeah. All right, Brian Molnix writes in. Hey guys, this is Brian from Long Beach. Long time, first time, and all that. Really appreciate the time and energy you put into the show. Thanks very much for the insight and the laughs. Writing because I want to share a comparatively unique Metallica experience. So he had a pretty cool uh, spot at this All Within My Hands gig, and he talks about it briefly. Cool. He says, my wife and I were lucky enough to win the Fandium contest that gave us couch seats extremely close to the stage, plus two days hotel, signed gig posters, some black and swag. He says, super cool overall. Awesome. The seats were on a different level than anything I've ever experienced before. There were three rows of couches from what I saw a single straight row in the very front, presumably for the biggest rolling sponsors, then a curved row of couches behind that and a third curved row behind that. We were in the third row as far to the right as possible, probably seven to 10 feet from the actual stage. The angle did make for a skewed view as some of the stage screens were above us and the ones that we could see weren't lined up from our angle, but both Kirk and James spent time on our side, probably 15 to 20 feet away. Absolutely sick. Rob mostly hung out on the left side which has stayed right for us and i suppose it's understandable that lars didn't wheel his drum kit over to us jk <laughs> that's rude the couch experience made it feel like a very intimate show almost like a private lounge we were never crowded or bumping into anyone just had this super comfortable private-ish space it was surreal honestly i saw pictures afterward of the wall of people behind us but never felt it while the band was on this was my 19th metallica show and by far the most unique in that regard when they got to Whiskey to finish out the first half of the set, I was basically overwhelmed and just grinning my ass off. It probably helped there were free drinks throughout, though at one point we ordered gin and tonics and got glasses full of gin. Not recommended. <laughs> I'm not a big tonic guy. I'll take the gin over the tonic. I like a, I like a gin and tonic. I don't mind that. Um, I'm sure you guys know all the show highlights. They sounded great. It was awesome to see James looking and sounding so healthy and generally great to see how much fun all of them were having. The live debut of Luke's was killer. Borderline and It's Killing Me were great new covers, and I'm never going to say no to Cthulhu Live. Honestly, looking back on it, I feel dazed more than anything, like it went by in a heartbeat. I feel incredibly lucky to have won the contest and expect this will probably be my top concert experience for some time. It felt like we were in a 200-person club, and I can't imagine I'll get a similar experiences, experience from Metallica in the future. Can't wait to hear the new album and see them touring in the summer. Thanks again for the podcast. Great to be able to tune in and learn more about my favorite band, Metal Up Your Butt. Bry. <laughs> well, thanks, Bry guy. Cool perspective. Yeah, very cool perspective. I also, uh, that just gave me an idea. I think I'm just going to attempt anytime I go to a live rock and roll concert, I'm just going to bring a couch. Just start taking a couch. Well, here's the thing. I've never gone into a show like when me and Paul saw Slipknot in September. There were no signs that said no couches. Yeah, there's no express rule that says you can't bring a couch. Yeah, so I think I'm going to start bringing a couch from my house. Maybe just a love seat, nothing crazy. No wraparound business, but in, and, and then that way, if you and I go to a show in St. Louis next next November, you might see me and Paul and Clint on a couch. I will say, if I'm sitting on a couch, I'm likely to fall asleep. <laughs> That's true. I feel like it would be a little weird to be at a Metallica show and be sitting on a couch. Um, I mean, the, the, that whole kind of VIP vibe is really cool, but 
And couches make you little tie tie. So you know, I did a, I did a double feature with my my niece the other night. She wanted to watch a couple rom coms. Mm-hmm. Which ones? Uh, we did Serendipity. Great. And we did uh, Kate Beckinsale, right? Yeah, Kate Beckinsale and John Cusack. Yep. Uh, we did that, and we did because uh, Christmas Love Actually. Great man, that's a great double feature. Yeah, it was awesome, and she had never seen both of them. She's eighteen. You know, she's she's. Like a lot of kids her age are starting to get into '90s stuff. Yeah, that's like '90s is retro now for them. Yeah, '90s early 2000s and stuff like that. So it was a good time. I actually, believe it or not, saw Serendipity in the theater. As did I. I'm a big rom com guy. Oh yeah, I love a good rom com. We we were we were gonna go with. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Another Hugh Grant movie. Hugh Grant, and Drew Barrymore, uh, music and lyrics. Mm, I've not. Is that newer? I've uh, not no, seen no. That. It's. I'd say it's probably two. If I had to take a wild guess, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Okay. He's basically a washed up eighties pop star trying to write for this new pop star, and Drew Barrymore is his like housekeeper, and she ends up helping him write lyrics and all that stuff. But it's it's real fun because it's it's him kind of poking fun at like you know bands like Wham and stuff like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a fun movie, fun yeah. rom com. Sounds good. Yeah. Our next email is from Ashley. Hiya, boys. I was listening to last week's episode, and during the email portal slash corner. I had a question pop into my head. Does listening on a certain platform benefit you guys more than others? I have three different ways to listen, and if one is more helpful, then I'm more than happy to use it. Formats, I'm assuming, meaning digital, vinyl, tape, whatever. Um, I think she, is she talking about the podcast or our actual music? She might be hmm. talking about the podcast. Okay. Like, is it better to listen to the podcast on Spotify? Is it better to listen to the podcast on Apple Music or yeah. on, on Apple Podcasts? I don't know. Let's just answer both questions. Why don't you Why don't you answer from the podcast perspective and from your personal music perspective? Okay, podcast perspective. I mean, I use an app called Overcast. Uh, I prefer it just because uh, the, the 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 search feature is very detailed. If you want to find something very specific, you know, I feel like on Apple, it's like you search for one thing and you get like eighty five results. And you just kind of skim through them. Um, I prefer that one. Um, as far as music, I'm always going to choose vinyl. You know. Um, in the car, I do tapes or I do Apple Music. She's asking which one benefits us more. How do we get the most money? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What will benefit us the most? Bandcamp is probably the most direct and the best percentage. After that, uh, as far as what our music is on, I know like you know the Napster streaming service. The payout is better than most of them, but nobody really uses that. Titles the same way. Apple Music. I mean, I, I I tell people like, hey, Spotify pays the worst, and that's the one of the main companies actively trying to pay artists less. So. I always encourage people to go to Bandcamp first. It doesn't matter. We're all fucked. It really doesn't matter. We've been, I mean, I've been saying for <laughs> years, true. don't listen to Spotify. And no one cares. I mean, right. no one really cares. Yeah, yeah. So it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it exactly. just doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. It, we're, it, it's a bad model. It's a bad system. Artists aren't being yes, compensated agreed. fairly. And so li- listen right. to it however you listen to it and just support it. Like, you know, buy our new records when you can. Buy physical media when you can. If we're playing yeah. a show near you, try to buy a ticket. If you're going to that show, try and buy a t-shirt. Other, other yeah. than that, how you actually consume music is foregone and doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah. as a good example of, of what, what how bad Spotify's payout is, I mean, now I'm not, my, my solo stuff isn't like this big thing by any means. I don't, I've, I've never made a living off of it. I probably never will. But as an example, I've been on Spotify for nine years and I've made about $800 in nine years. Right. So do the math, not yeah. great. I appreciate the question, but it, the answer is that it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, I mean, maybe one day it will. <laughs> maybe one day it'll matter, but it doesn't right now. I mean, if I you know I look at what you know my, whatever my top stream song on Spotify is like you know, it's twelve thousand streams, right? Which is not a lot in in today's world. Now, if if twelve thousand people bought my record on Bandcamp, that would actually I, there's a lot to show for right. that. But that's not gonna ever gonna happen. So, anyways, she goes on to say. Also, quick question for Ethan. 
I'm re I really want to start my drum playing journey. If this is too big of a question, then you don't have to answer. But what sh what should I buy to start? Where do I start? Thanks for any info. Uh, you guys are really one one of a kind podcasts. Thank you for being the coolest. I wish I could make it to the shindig on the 14th. It's going to be just amazing. Can't wait to hear all about it. Ashley from PG, Utah, New Jersey. Uh, just to, if I can give you a brief answer about the drum thing. Um, if you're just wanting to start out, I mean, if you want a acoustic drum kit, you can get on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and you can find a crappy old drum set that some dad's given away that his son doesn't want to play anymore. And you can probably find it for 100 or 200 bucks. And that's a great way to start. They make cheap electronic kits too if you want to make a lot of noise. Um, and I would I would highly recommend uh, taking, you know, just taking lessons from somebody. You might have somebody, local music store, local church, whatever, that gives affordable lessons. And that's the best way to, to really start learning is to be sitting in front of somebody and learn that way. And obviously YouTube can help you, but the best way is in front of an actual person. All right, Tim Salento. Hey guys, loved part one of your Lulu coverage. He says, I found this pretty funny. wanted to share it with you guys in case you didn't come across it in your research. I read this interview with Kirk a while back where he said Lou Reed told him no solos and no wah while they were recording. I brought this article up and read this. <laughs> There's some pretty wild stuff in this. Kirk Hammett uh, says Junior Dad from Lulu is a real accomplishment just as much as Ride the Lightning is. Okay. Um, this is a blabbermouth.net article. It says Metallica guitarist Kirk Hammett once again defended Lulu, the band's controversial collaborative disc with Lou Reed, calling it a real accomplishment. Speaking to Maine Independent Journal, Kirk said about Lulu, quote unquote, I've always been a big supporter of that album, even when all my friends are shaking their heads and looking at me going, bro, what are you thinking? It was a real <laughs> accomplishment as far as I was concerned. We were there to help Lou Reed fulfill his vision, and I think we did that 100%. This was not a Metallica album, and it was not a Lou Reed album. It was Lou Reed and Metallica together doing something completely different. It's not for everyone, but Junior Dad, I think, is one of the best things we've ever been associated with in terms of real art and literature and music coming together. That, to me, is a real accomplishment, just as much as Ride the Lightning is. Oh, interesting. Asked what it was like playing guitar with Lou, Kirk said, He's a really, really good rhythm player. He had a good, solid rhythm pulse to his playing. He was really not into lead guitar playing and was really, really not into wah. In fact, one time during a <laughs> rehearsal, I set the wah pedal, and he just walked up to the microphone and said, No, no guitar solos, <laughs> no wah, and I was blown away. Wow. He had his musical preferences, he had his musical boundaries, and he was not shy in letting us know what those preferences and boundaries were. Dang, man. <laughs> it's just interesting, though, that, like, I mean, I know they love and respected Lou Reed, you know, especially in that moment, getting to work with him for the first time on a collaborative record. But you're also in Metallica. You could be like, okay, no solos, no problem, but I'm using my wah pedal. You know, or they just, it's almost like Lou produced the thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, he was definitely steering the ship. Or maybe, or maybe it was one of those things, you know, like we talked about on Lulu Part 2, where it was like, hey, let's just get, maybe get through this. Like, if Lou, if Lou suggests something, just go with it. Man, there's more here that's interesting. In a 2012 interview with Spin, Lars Ulrich admitted that the band was caught off guard by the vehement reaction to Lulu, saying, quote, it was more spiteful than anyone was prepared for, especially against Lou. He's such a sweet man, but when Metallica do impulsive riffing and Lou reads, reciting abstract poetry about German bohemians from 150 years ago, it can be difficult to embrace. That's all fine. Asked whether the band had second thoughts over some of Reed's lyrics, like, and this is one of the lyrics from the record, I swallow your sharpest cutter like a colored man's dick. Ulrich said, I understand that to some 13-year-old in Missouri, it can seem cringeworthy, 
But to someone raised in an art community in Copenhagen in the late 60s, that was expected. I take issue with that comment. Yeah, that's that's a little weird. I mean, I, that sounds like it's just, just pretentious. It's like, well, it's just trying to defend him. Well, it's just pretentious. It's like, oh, sorry, I wasn't raised in an art community in Copenhagen in the 60s. That's going to make that lyric better. I'm a pretty yeah. smart dude. Pretty well read. I'm into abstract shit. I've studied all this. I've read books about it. Right. The lyric's not good. It's gross and strange and jarring and. Well, I mean, did he feel like he could say say it again because the word colored because he said it on Wild Side? I mean, or 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 is it one of those things where it's like, well, you're not smart enough, you wouldn't. I don't care that he's saying colored. It's the imagery of what he's saying. It's just it's right. gross. It totally is gross. It's just more like shock value to me than interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I don't like the idea that like, oh, well, a kid in Missouri is not going to get it, but I get it. It's like, dude. Fuck that. That's lame. Yeah, it's very pretentious. It's just pretentious. And it's like, Lou said that too. He's like, this is a very literate album. You have to be literate to understand this album. It's just, I don't know. They're just like, you're just erecting this wall around it to where like, if you criticize it, it's because you don't get it, man. And I just don't think that's cool. And I don't know if Lou felt this way, but it's like, that's almost like an excuse for how much it sucks. Like, well, you you just don't get it. Well, yeah, they're just building a wall around it to inoculate themselves from criticism. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, I think the people that were like calling for Lou to be killed or whatever, that's ridiculous and gross too. Yeah, for sure. It's just art. Like you just listen to it. You have a reaction to it. You're like, oh, this is pretty good. This isn't really good. Mm-hmm. This sucks. That's fine. That's all on the table to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, moving on. He says, like Clint, I'm a huge fan of the Load and Reload era. S&M was my gateway into the band. So those albums hold a special place in my heart. And I'm excited to see what the box set holds. There was a gap of 33 years for Kill 'Em All, 32 years for Lightning. 31 years for Puppets and 30 years for Justice and the Black Album between when the albums were released and when the box sets were released. Do you guys think they'll stick with the 30-year mark for Load and Reload, making the releases in 2026 and 2027, or do you think they'll come out sooner than that? Thanks for all the time you put in the show, Tim. I don't think they're going to wait four more years for this. Yeah, I think sooner for sure, especially because they've already put the bat signal out for people to send in, you know. Content. Well, and I, I, I think the idea that like they come out on the 30th anniversary, is, it's not true. They didn't do that for the first two. They did it for right. some of them, I think, because it lined up that way. Yes, for sure. But it was never, we're going to do this on every 30th anniversary. Because that's not how it started. Yeah. I think, you know, because they did it for or Justice and the Black Album, if, let's say, Load came out two years after the Black Album, maybe it would make more sense. Like, hey, let's just do it on the 30th. It's only two years later. Yeah. But, I mean, this is a lot longer of a wait. And even as of now, it's a long wait. Well, and I think it takes a couple years to put something like that together. So, I, to me, it just made sense. It was like everything conspired perfectly for them for the Black Album 30th anniversary. Yeah. You know? Like, they were able to make the box set. Like, that was just the, you know, last year was just all Black Album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there, yeah, they, they did all sorts of things to celebrate the 30th anniversary. And the box set was just one thing. And now that they're getting into their middle career, they're taking longer in between albums. Obviously not Load and Reload, which are basically were recorded at the same time. But after yeah. that, it's just starting to get longer. So it's they're not going to wait the same amount of years in between they took to make the records to get product out into the world. <laughs> right. Now, the only thing that about next year is, are they going to want it to compete with the new album? So I don't know if they're going to do the thing where they sell the album with tickets with like they did with Hardwired so they can kind of inflate tick, inflate album sales. Mm-hmm. Like Prince did that too. Like people did that. Where like every, you know, so if they sell a million tickets to their show and everyone gets a CD, they get to count that as album sold. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So like, oh, 72 seasons went platinum. Well, did it. Everyone's yeah. listening on Spotify and Apple Music. You know, no one's going to right, buy exactly. it. Right, exactly. Yeah, you got a free CD because you bought a ticket to the show. So many people send us those hardware CDs. I have probably 50 of them in my garage. <laughs> right. Because no one listens to CDs. And by yeah. the way, I mean that in general. I don't write in and say, well, I listen to CDs. I get that some people yeah. do. I'm one of them. I have CDs in my car. I have a CD player in my studio. 
but no one in general listens to CDs. It's it's a waste. Yeah, yeah, it's sure. almost a waste. So for sure. the question is, you know, are the box sets going to compete with that? I think by fall of next year, because the album comes out in April, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be this huge momentum of album sales still happening in November of 2023. Yeah, I can maybe see like uh, them in that maybe announcing the box in the set, summer. first box set in summer or fall for maybe a spring 2024 release or something like that. Like a yeah. year a year after uh, 72. Or seasons. announcing it in the summer and putting it out before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea too. Because I mean, you know, money talks and bullshit walks. Thanks for all the time you put on the show, Tim. So, all right, cool. I got to tell you, I'm excited about the load and reload box sets. I think I, think I had mentioned they were going to, I thought they might try to combine them, but someone, I think someone inside the circle, this isn't information we have, said that they are going to do separate box sets for load and yeah, okay, reload. Okay, that's cool. Well, like you said earlier, money talks and bullshit walks. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It's in the magic box. Thank you, Fran right, Drescher. Thank you. All right. We got uh, two more emails. Uh, next is from Joe Zappi. What was the first Metallica album you guys purchased? Mine were Death Magnetic and Master of Puppets from Walmart, coupled with a Doors Greatest Hits nice. album. Love the podcast and started listening at the Grimies episode. And I've been binging all the previous episodes. Thanks, thanks for all the great content from Joe Zappi. Uh, mine was Master of Puppets. Right, and the story for you is that you liked the cover, right? Was that it? <clears throat> I had heard or saw the one video from Justice, and then right shortly before the Black Album came out, like Inner Sandman was on the radio and stuff like that, and then like I started buying, like getting really into metal and stuff like that. And so I had some money and went to Sam Goody and bought. I I, I went to go get uh, Justice for All, and I had enough for one CD, and I thought the Puppets cover was cooler, and so I bought that. I mean, my parents had the Black Album. Because my, my parents were 30 years old when the Black Album came out. Yeah. So, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, and like my mom was a kind of a hip, good-looking 30-year-old. You know, I'm 39 right now. So mm-hmm. she was into Metallica. Everyone in the world was into Metallica in 1991. Yeah. You know, she probably liked Nothing Else Matters, and I actually need to talk to her about it. But So that was in the house. The first one I probably bought was probably Load, maybe. It's such a blur. Mm-hmm. But here's, here's a memory I have, a really stark memory. It's me and my little buddies, 13, 14, starting to play guitar. Metallica was our favorite band. I remember going to a record store and we, me and my best friend, Matt Harris, we could each buy a CD. Parents gave us a $20 bill in the 90s. That meant one CD. CDs were like eighteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. And we were like, well, here's what we should do. You buy Master of Puppets. I'll buy Ride the Lightning. We'll listen to it for six months and then we'll swap. Oh, yeah. That way we could have both CDs. So I think because of that, Morgan Wade is texting me. I think because of that, Ride the Lightning was always my album. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. It was the only one I had. You know, other than my parents' black album, mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that it stuck with me as my favorite is I, I just it's burned into my brain the the blue, the liner notes, those four pictures of them on the back, and those eight songs, yeah, were mine. And then when I got puppets, something weird about it psychologically was like this is Matt's. So the songs <laughs> never, right. I never, I really, other than the song Master of Puppets, I'm talking about when I was a kid. I never really felt like those songs belonged to me in the same way that Creeping Death or Call of Cthulhu did, or bells or fade you know i always preferred fade to black Mm -hmm. over sanitarium i preferred fight fire over battery um i definitely preferred puppets over lightning the songs yeah but i prefer cthulhu over orion i always loved escape i preferred trapped under ice over leper messiah i just always sort of pitted them against each other unfairly but that's just what happened to me as a kid yeah for sure and i think to your point too the one that actually got burned into me a little more was the blackout because my dad took me to buy that while we were on vacation my dad brought a guitar on vacation. I had my, uh, uh, someone had loaned me a Black Album tab book or whatever. Yeah. 
and I sat, I, I didn't hang out with my family on vacation. I just played guitar. I just learned those riffs because I could finally play Metallica riffs because they were easy and I was in whatever, seventh grade or eighth grade. I did the same thing. I took my guitar to the beach with my aunt. My stepdad was just looking like I was an idiot. And I remember <laughs> he had to tell me to quit <laughs> playing because I had just learned the Foo Fighters song, Big Me. Yeah. Big me to talk about it. I know that it's true. And I was just not singing it, just playing it over and over. And they were like, will you please stop playing that song? <laughs> <laughs> dude i mean i remember i remember you know either getting like a my dad would have a guitar world magazine and there would be like a featured two or three songs you know tab in there oh yeah and anytime it was a song i liked i would borrow the magazine from my dad and i would learn it and then i would just spend a week just playing that song over and over totally. again walking around the house showing my dad for the eighth time like check it out i got better at it. he's like oh my god you can play those four chords great <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then i remember getting a chorus pedal and then everything i played had that chorus pedal on I got a wah pedal. I got that same guy, Matt Harris, who's the guy I kind of came up playing guitar with. I got a wah pedal and I would always do the Stone Gossard parts in Pearl Jam songs. And he was because he was the lead guy and I was the rhythm guy. And so I was doing that intro to a live. But with the wah pedal on, he was like, dude, you don't have to turn the wah pedal on for everything. On everything. Like, well, should I add the chorus to it as well? (laughs) When you got a new pedal, man, you just turn them on. Like, you're not going to go through the trouble and have them turned off. I I have my childhood chorus pedal in my studio. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, my first pedal was my dad's old Distortion Plus. Yeah, and those are great. It was just always on. I was I, I was not interested in learning anything with a clean tone at that time. But you know what was a huge record for us when I'm thinking about Metallica? I would really like to talk to my buddies. Um, I had my friend Aaron on for the, I did an episode called The Memory Lane Remains. Right. But I would love to get him and Matt together and really try to map out this time because we were just Metallica freaks. And a really huge thing at that time was Binge and Purge. Because we didn't, mm-hmm. we just didn't have access. Like I remember, one of us, one of their older brothers, maybe had Kill 'Em All. We just didn't have any money. We were kids. Yeah, totally. So like we did the thing where we were swapping puppets and lightning. Our parents had the black album. Maybe we bought Load because it was the new one. But I remember just Mexico City on a TV, and we had a little jam room in one of their basements. Just Mexico City or Seattle '89 on a loop VHS. Oh yeah, and listening to Mexico City like in our cars. So the Binge oh, and Purge yeah. was just a really huge, because that was how we heard all the early songs. I knew all the early songs by the Mexico City uh, CDs before I heard them on the mm-hmm. record. Yeah, for sure. So that version of Seek, The Four Horsemen, Whiplash, all of that m- was burned into me initially through uh, the live stuff. Yeah, for sure, man. It's pretty wild to think back then, like, you know, pre-streaming and, and anything online, really. If, if like, when we, you know, my, my buddy Aaron, who lives in New York now, I remember I didn't have a copy of Kill 'Em All, but he got it. He told me at school, he's like, hey, I got Kill 'Em All. He's like, you want to come over this weekend and listen to it? I'm like, oh, yeah. That's an event. And I had to wait four or five days while we did bullshit school all week. Yeah. And then my mom took me to his house, and we just sat down. I spent the night, and we listened to it like See, we times. have those experiences, and that's why sometimes we talk about like when you can't have everything at your fingertips, and you have to wait when it costs you time or costs you money, or when you have to mow 10 lawns, for five bucks each just so you can go buy the cd when you finally get it in your hands it is like treasure and i believe you appreciate it more absolutely so anyway that was a fun little trip down memory lane it was fun yeah i remember the day i bought saint anger i remember the day i got death magnetic i of course remember hardwired getting the vinyl i remember the first time i heard atlas rise i was in my living room Mm -hmm. on the east side when we lived in inglewood and i remember shouting something positive (laughs) <laughs> yep load and reload are a bit of a blur but i know I, I bought those records yeah and then getting justice and puppets and garage days re-revisited and kill them all was just putting the pieces together after becoming a fan from the black album yeah for sure that's awesome i i, I specifically remember uh getting the snm record 
at, at a music store called The Warehouse and being so excited. I had heard about Apocalyptica and got their CD, and then I then they released this album with an orchestra, and I was like, this has got to be good. Didn't, you know, I think I might have saw the video on MTV or whatever. And I went and picked that thing up, and I could not. I think it. I watched I was, it on TV first. Yeah, I think I think it came out on TV before it was an album. I, I never saw the full thing on TV. Oh, I really? Remember seeing the video? I, yeah, I remember seeing the video for um, No Leaf Clover, and thinking it was just so awesome. And then yeah. I went and bought the CD, and then fell in love with it. And then I remember buying the double VHS. Yeah, I had that too. Well, that's what. So what happened to us? Our Metallica thing kind of started in ninety two, ninety three, and then it was just full on. And by ninety nine. I mean, we were just the Metallica guys. We were the snobby. We were probably not pleasant to be around. So by the time <laughs> S&M came out, we were just, it was just the best thing by the best band ever. I mean, we just were yeah, so sure. riding that cloud, man. That's why that era is just oh, still yeah. so special to me. I think it has a lot to do with my age and what was going on with, like, it's just a really happy time of my life. I think also the music holds up, but. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why the, that's why the early 90s for me were so huge with Metallica, because it was like I was discovering everything they had out as the black album was coming out yeah it was just like mind well, we, had, we had the same thing like when we were like putting all the pieces together from the 80s and it just kept getting better and better because we thought fuel was great like you gotta understand like we thought fuel was one of the coolest things ever so to hear you know damage ink was like oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh yeah, i know man and that's why i never had that like oh well damage ink is real and fuel is stupid like we already liked fuel so it, everything, yeah. all the 80s stuff was just amazing to us. We did notice the records were not sounding as good because mm -hmm. we love the sound of the Bob Rock stuff. Like we were like, uh, Kill Em All is like kind of scrappy. But I mean, you know, we, yeah, we were hearing like Jump in the Fire and like, whoa. I know, man. It's, it's, it was it was mind blowing when you were that age. Okay, we got a, our last email is from someone who was asked to be, uh, to remain nameless. So we will okay. honor that. John Doe has written in. And he says, he or she says, good morning. Wanted to send a quick email to further explain the vibe of the room. And he's talking about the 30th anniversary shows. Okay. So at least for night one, he says, the first day I flew in, I was in line at 9 a.m. The doors didn't open until much later. And the ball didn't get rolling until later in the evening. I was probably 35th in line at 9 a.m. And by the time the band came out, the majority of the first few rows had been in line for the better part of 12 hours. Damn. I think a lot of what you're getting is exhaustion from the first few rows. The band played off and on from 10 to 2 a.m. The next show, which was Wednesday night, I was in line 11 p.m. Tuesday night to get closer. Again, a lot of people had been in line for almost 24 hours by the time the band came on. I really think what you're hearing from the crowd is exhaustion. I personally remember being in awe that the first 30 minutes of both shows because anything and everything was up for grabs. We didn't know what was next. Unfortunately, I had to fly home the next day as my then supervisor let it be known that if I didn't come back to work after the first two shows, she could not guarantee I would still have a job. <laughs> I'm sure you can understand I had to come home. I had bills and a mortgage. So we've just been talking a little bit how anemic the crowd was. I mean, when right. you think about the first night, people standing outside for 12 hours and then the next night, 24 hours of standing. I know that's 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 that'll take a toll on your body. Then you're watching sure. the Jim Brewer crap and you're watching the opener. You're watching Armored Saint and the, you know, the Soul Rebels brass band. Then Metallica plays a three hour show. Mm hmm. So I, I'm going to go a little easier on the crowd here because yeah, for sure, I would have been wiped as well. Absolutely, dude. I mean, I mean, I mentioned me and Paul going to Slipknot earlier in the in the episode, and we went there as late as possible. Yeah, you know, we had seats, so we weren't worried about it. But like, like I I do that in shows with shows in general, and unless it's a Metallica show where it's like, hey, let's get there, but we're, but we're not standing in line for twelve hours. I've never done. No. That. I mean, I used to do that for and, Dave Matthews and Pearl Jam. 
I would do long, long, like I would wait in long lines for like for tickets back when Ticketmaster was like a little station at Tower yeah. Records or whatever. That's what I was talking about. I did camp out at a Pearl Jam show because they would let they they would let you camp out and then they would give the Ten Club GA. Oh, cool. So if you just waited outside the gate, you got the best shot at the first fifteen rows or whatever. Yeah, that's awesome. And I remember we sat there for so long. I think it was about twelve hours, and it was. Dude, it was one of the most fun days of my life. I was with my buddies when you were going to see Pearl Jam. And when they opened the doors and we were running to GA, my legs were like jello because I'd just been <laughs> sitting for so long. And I remember yeah. trying to run fast, but it was like, you know, the Freddy Krueger scene when they're trying to run up the stairs and the stairs are like, you're getting your legs stuck in it, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I but I did the full on sleeping outside of Blockbuster for Dave Matthews, like sleeping overnight, you know, for tickets. Yeah. Blockbuster music. So fun, dude. Those those days are gone. gone. Bye bye. bye. It's over. <laughs> now you just refresh a screen for, you know, an entire day and still don't get Taylor Swift tickets. Yeah, exactly. On your couch. All right. Well, that's going to do it. This was a kind of a fun, longer housekeeping, but uh, stick around. Avi Vinegar uh, filled us in on a lot of really interesting details. We did take a bu- over 20 questions for Avi from patrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just want to mention that, like, you can ask our guests, like, Avi questions if you're a patron of the show. Oh, yeah. And then also the Metal Tales are filling up for the M72 tour next year. So uh, if you want to be a part of that, you're going to hear a commercial for Patreon right now. If you're willing and able, you can support the show. It goes a long way to helping the show be cool and unique and and, uh, keeps the lights on, as I said earlier. So check out the commercial and then uh, enjoy hearing from Avi. All right. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here. And we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tales series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. Well, we're here with Avi Vinegar. Welcome back to the show, Avi. Really good to see you. We were just sort of catching up here, and I realized this is, should just be part of the episode. <laughs> exactly. So here we are. Thank you for taking the time. Hello. Podcast time. Yeah, it's podcast time. And everyone, by the way, give it up for Avi. There you go. That's a real audience, by the way. I don't know if you know that, but we've had all those people come in. Yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't see them off off my camera, but they're they're over here to my right. So Avi's been on the show before. Avi of the Bay Area band Goodnight Texas. He's a friend of ours. He works at uh, Metallica HQ, and what everyone has now sort of dubbed you like the official fifth member because (laughs) you played the show. It was another uh, All in My Hands charity gig. Man, you bring so much of the band. I know we've said that so many times, but. They're almost like the Beatles in a way where they don't have a lot of outside they don't have a lot of outside people playing with them. So 
it's either you or Lady Gaga, and maybe you guys can fight yeah. to the death to see uh, <laughs> right. who wins the day on that. Or an entire orchestra. Or a 95-piece orchestra. Well, so anyway, congrats on the show. It, it went great. I mean, how did it feel? You're fresh you. off the show just a few days ago. Whew. Do you have the thing that I usually have when, when the show's over, you can finally just be happy and relieved because you landed the plane? Yes, I think so. I feel like I can like go to the store and get coronavirus <laughs> and not be worried about it. Uh, no, I, 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 yeah, definitely. It's definitely a relief to be done with like a big show that you've been really focused on for like, you know, a mo- full month. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I think they, they didn't really decide what, you know, if, if or what or how they were going to do this show until a little less than a month ago. I was like, I left it on, I left it on my schedule in case they wanted me or something. I like made sure I didn't have anything going on, but I was like, maybe they're not going to do, you know, acoustic this time. And then, and they started texting me. We're like, uh, I think we're going to do it. It's like, all right. That's cool. I'm surprised to hear that it was that, not that far out that it was sort of starting to get put together because it's been on the books, yeah. you know, for a long time. And I kind of resonate with that. I mean, I don't know if you do this with Goodnight Texas or Ethan, or what, if you do this too, but like I'll have something big on the books and just keep, I'll just keep thinking, well, I'll figure it out when it gets there. And then it starts to get closer and you got to p- kind of put it together. I think some people might sit around and imagine that almost every day there's a meeting about the All Within My Hands gig, but really it's just you put it on the books and then as you get closer to it, you make the time to figure it out. I think that's the vibe. I think the vibe is is to, you know, just, just kind of decide in the moment and be spontaneous and, you know, one of a kind about the whole thing. I think that's, yeah, not planning too hard, I think might be part of the... Part of the magic, right? Part of the magic, Yeah. To be fair, they they had a, they had a lot going on in the weeks leading up to deciding to to start thinking about that show uh, with the new new song and the album announcement and all that. So they've been focused on you know the real big stuff. It's true. I mean, the the gig is is a big deal. It's a charity gig, of course. The All Within My Hands Foundation. The last one, the Masonic, was awesome. And but yeah, them rolling out. I mean, when a band like Metallica is rolling out a new single, a new album, a two year stadium tour. Yeah, this this gig almost becomes like a, a not a nuisance, but it's like <laughs> shit. We have to like figure this out too, you know. I think the vibe is is definitely to uh, go into it with, uh, you know, open open arms and just see what happens, <laughs> and p- pick some covers they like. And yeah, that's kind of their like spiritual guiding, you know, principles. Always, it seems like yeah, you can really overthink stuff, and I think that's what we really like about them. So before we have a bunch of questions, by the way, from patrons for you. Everyone loves you and metal up your podcast land. By the way, <laughs> it's true. Aww. I actually thought about this because you know we've built this community. Uh, Ethan and I we've curated this community of people that are musically very open, very smart, and cool people. We see them when we travel on the road. I'm sure you've met some of them. They've come to your mm-hmm. shows, maybe. Yeah, and they've really kind of all embraced you. And I give Metallica fans a lot of credit, but outside of the little community that I stay in, I don't really have much contact. I'm not on the forums. I don't, I don't really read YouTube comments. I got to imagine if you're the guy that's going to step up and sing with James Hetfield that there's some trepidation about: Are these metalheads gonna <laughs> gonna hate me or want to kill me? Or like, do you be like, who the hell is that guy? Yeah, like who is this nerd who's encroaching yeah. on my favorite band? Do you ever have, you have? Are you like the Yoko Ono? Or do you worry that people will see you that way? I think not at this point. I think the first first time I did it, I was wondering if people would be like, who the fuck? But that was not the response at all. Metallica fans are so warm and yeah, they want to see what they've got to do, and they can the jokes they make and the pers- the people they are. They just love them for who they are. 
So if they decide to bring me, they're going to, I guess, embrace that. That's cool. It's true. Everyone has so much respect for them that it's like, well, anyone that comes in is kind of already vetted. You're already sort of grafted in, in a way that maybe not would have been the case, like, in the late 80s, you know? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. There's a lot of people at that, you know, the first couple of Jason Newstead shows going, you know, kind of arms crossed vibe, like, all right, who's Mm. this guy? Yeah. What's he got, you know? And I think, too, when they're, when they're doing acoustic, you know, kind of rare performances like this, people kind of have come to to learn what to expect, you know, by adding musicians and stuff like that. I mean, at one point there was, you know, whatever, like three or four extra people on, at one of the charity gigs, you know, pedal steel was being played and things like that. Yeah. If they're going to do, if, if people know they're going to do an acoustic set and there's some extra musicians, or in this case, just you on stage with them, I think people expect it now. Yeah. That they're going to they're gonna mix it up every time. Really don't know what's going to happen until very short notice i feel like we've kind of gotten a little far into this which we're going to do a whole preamble before introducing you but people probably know who you are what's been going on before we get into like a bunch of these questions so a lot of the questions we'll go talk through the show a little bit and then mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions that are just kind of about you and you know what what what's your favorite underwear and <laughs> you know that kind of stuff nice so good night texas is your primary band when you're not yeah. touring you're working with metallica that's kind of how we yeah. got to know each other you guys just did a tour right like what's going on with a record or a tour yeah what are you guys up to we went the the two of us patrick my co-songwriter and i went and opened as a duo for this guy john craigie who's fantastic like really funny guy, a lot of, you know, tell stories, like storytelling kind of folk stuff. But he was experimenting with bringing out some different musicians for the first time too, actually. So we just went out, the two of us, to open up kind of a simple thing. The Northwest was super fun. We're going to go out in January, kind of cross-country, opening for then Larkin Poe. Oh, yeah, we know them. Oh, nice. You know them? Yeah. Yeah, they're Nashville, I yep. think. Great girls. Yeah, we've we've done some shows with them three or four years ago. We went out with them. That's a good fit. I think that's a good fit for Good Night yeah. Texas. That'd be a great, that's a great bill. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Where are you guys all going on that run? I think we're starting in North Carolina and playing like straight across to like Wyoming and like Utah. Do you guys have the thing that all touring bands have where you play, I don't know, you play Charlotte, North Carolina, and then the next night you're in Asheville and someone goes, dude, when are you coming to Charlotte? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, we were just there. Uh, yeah, Could have used, like, uh, used you in the room. Yeah, we've 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 had plenty of those, you know, messages being like, "When are you coming to L.A.?" I'm like, "We literally just played five minutes ago in L.A." I'm <laughs> yeah. backstage looking at my phone right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where can everyone find all your stuff? Like, are you you're on all the normal social stuff, right? Yeah, my uh, my personal Instagram is Avi's personal profile, uh, and Goodnight Texas is Goodnight Texas. We'll put a links to all of it in, uh, sure. in the description below. Yeah. Follow me. Is there a Nashville date? You know what? We don't, and we have a couple days off in Nashville, so I wouldn't be surprised if we try to add something of our own there. Let's at least mark down some hang time if we're if, if we're in town. At a minimum, I think we should. You know what we ought to hang. do, obviously, is we ought to write a song if you have a day off in town. If we're oh, all dude. Home. Yeah. Let's do one for the for the song game. You've been how long? So I do this song game with Bob Schneider. I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah. Every week you got to write a song. You miss two weeks in a row, you're out. You've been in the game now. How long have you been in? Over a year? Two years? I guess over two, like two and a half years now. That's really wild to think about that you've been in the game that would have long. Been, yeah, like like August, September. Whenever I, whenever we did the first podcast together, twenty twenty, yeah. I was right after that. What was the first thing you did with Metallica? Was it S and M two? I did this Fillmore show with James in twenty sixteen. Yeah, uh, but then with the band was the Masonic show, which was twenty eighteen. That's right. That's right. And then S and M was like a year later. And then the Stern thing was in the pandemic. Wow. It looks like uh, 
Avi's first appearance was episode 188, and that was August 24th, 2020. There you go. Right in the heart of it. We thought this was going to be maybe just a brief episode, like, hey, the gig was great. Give us some of your thoughts. And then so mm-hmm. many so many of the patrons had a bunch of questions for you, so we decided to turn it into a full thing. But I wanted to have a segment maybe called Dear Augie, because I think Howard Stern called you Augie when they were <laughs> introducing you. It could have been the ds on his voice. I don't know. It's such a world's colliding moment for me because I was such a Stern nerd. I mean, I'm not as much anymore, but like really into the Stern universe. Yeah. And so just hearing him, hearing him, I know he, he's got a good relationship with the boys and then seeing you on there and then becoming friends with you has been so funny. So maybe we will, I don't know, what, you guys have a better suggestion for like the, uh, the Avi corner? <laughs> Only, you can do, you can do Dear Augie, but you got to make a jingle, like a heavy metal jingle. Oh, it. don't worry. Yeah, we've, we've got plenty of those. Yeah. Just dig any of them out of the... Evolved. totally yeah we've got a few of those laying around yeah well it's cool man it's cool that we've known each other a long time and cool to see your band doing well and i i still have a secret dream it's not even a secret dream it's just a dream to get you out on the road with us with morgan which i think would be to get goodnight texas on a bill with us perfect perfect pairing it would be so fun i know i think i agree we've we've mentioned that to to our our guys and i know it's like something they're lo- looking into so cool if there's that yeah if you got any uh if you got any way to pass a word on I'm allowed to talk to Morgan once every four months. So That's, next, okay. yeah. six months for me. Yeah. yeah. The next time she grants me permission to speak, I'll try to put that on the on the list. <laughs> well, so should we just jump into the show? Everyone knows you. Everyone knows sure. and loves you, dude. You're in. Oh, oh yeah. Man. It's nice. You guys are real nice. The yeah, the whole crew you got here is so friendly. They send the nice IG messages. Everything. Well, there was a big group of us watching it together on Discord, which is another another shout oh, nice. out to the Discord. If anyone wants to hop on, like that's something that we do occasionally. If there's something really fun going on with the boys, now I was kind of caught up in a couple of basketball games and an okra session, but I was still just hanging with everybody. Mm-hmm. And Avi even came and said hi on the Discord a little bit later too. Yeah, I think if we start going through maybe some of these questions, it'll kind of get us through the evening. There's some questions about like. You've already answered one of them. Like basically a month ago is when it started to get put together. Yeah, if if even. Yeah, it was it was pretty. Yeah, I guess more or less a month ago. Yeah. Well, so Zap Lipkinmore, which thanks again to all the patrons, appreciate you guys. He says in the Discord we were all really impressed with how all the instrumentation came together in the acoustic renditions. You and the band sounded phenomenal. What was the arrangement process like? Did James Lars allow for you to take an active role from the get-go, or was it an iterative process uh, that arose from jamming? It was interesting because you guys did an electric version of sort of the reworked acoustic version of All Though My Hands, which has kind of been your big highlight, I feel like, so far, has been your involvement with that song. Now, that song got completely different now. Yeah. But these other like acoustic arrangements, the blackened stuff, and how involved are you in you know, those arrangements of the creative process. I'm not involved in the creative process, but the parts that I play, usually I just come play them. And if anyone doesn't like it, they'll tell me. Or if they do like it, it'll be like, cool. So you're adding your own stuff. Unforgiven chorus harmony. Like, I just did that. And they were like, great, sounds good. Yeah, it's like any band. I mean, that's just what happens in any band. Yeah, and they might have specific ideas. Like, James was texting some ideas to me and uh, Robert for like backing vocal parts that he was kind of hearing on stuff, and we would just get ready to do it in rehearsal. And those Unforgiven harmonies are great, dude. Thank you. They open up that chorus so much. It's it's we've probably said this on previous episodes you were on, but you know Metallica is one of those bands that just live they've never had somebody who was able to do that. You know, Jason was great, growly. Kirk and Rob do a great job like fulfilling their role, mm-hmm. but to have a great like tight for real harmony. 
you know, it's it's just so nice to hear in their music, you know. In the nineties they layered up Thank you, man. they layered up the BGVs and stuff, but for the most part, a lot of the vocal power is James, you know, like he's he's the holding the flag always. So hearing that like dimension of it and I feel like it's perfect to have you around because your music with Patrick, the Goodnight Texas stuff, is so that kind of tight harmony Americana folk thing. Yeah. And y'all's voices match really well together, That which isn't always the case. Yeah. No, definitely not. That was kind of just luck. Yeah. That James and I could kind of lock in. And, and I guess, you know, I guess to a degree, like I've heard his voice for, you know, yeah, a lot of my life, uh, you know, hearing his, his songs and his singing. So like the way that he sings kind of like sounds natural to me or sounds familiar. Are they getting in a room together and working a lot of stuff out and then they get to a certain point where they bring you in or are you there on day one when it's like, all right. It's on the schedule today. Today, all within my hands prep. For the 2018 show, I mean, I was just working. But on day one, they went in just just the four of them on day one for the 2018 show. But then I like halfway through the day, they brought me in. And then, but for this show, I was just there from day one. I think that we kind of are like, we're because we're, they're bringing back songs we've done before. So it's not like huge new decisions happening. I'm imagining myself in this environment. Ethan, I don't know what you would be like, but I'm imagining if, say, they invited me. Bobby, you know what to do. You know how to make shit sound good. You know how to produce records. You know how to write songs. But, and as do I, as does Ethan. But I've got to imagine, I'm in that room. I've been invited into this cool space. I'm doing a lot of listening. I'm doing a lot of waiting to yeah. be asked. And really just a lot of listening. And ready to walk through the door when it opens. Is that is that kind of your vibe in there? Yeah, definitely. It's like, yeah, just kind of seeing how everybody's doing things. But also, like, kind of trying stuff. Like, yeah, going for it. You know, I'll try a high part on the chorus for this one thing. I'll try a low one the next time we do it, you know. And and then maybe I'll talk to Greg afterward and see if he has a, a preference or if, if anyone in the band, can, you know, has a thought. They might be like, whichever. Like, Borderline specifically on this show, Borderline, I had, like, a really high part, but it was, it was like, really high for me. So I was like, I want to try to figure out a lower one that's, like, a little easy but kind of fills it out more. Ended up with this, you know, pretty pretty simple lower harmony that I think kind of like filled it up. And Robert took the high one and he's in there fucking slaying it. We, we ran that a lot. I was I like Robert and Kirk and I rehearsed together on Sunday. And then then the band got we got together on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. By Wednesday from singing that high part, I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to sing on Friday? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm going to maybe try like a see if a lower one works. So I did it and I was like, does anyone have any thoughts? And they were like, sounds great. I was like, OK, cool. It's cool. Talking about jumping in reminds me of the first time I ever did a record with Bob, Bob Schneider. Mm. Uh, the drummer was J.J. Johnson, and the bass player was a guy named Dave Monzi who played with like Seal and Fiona Apple. Like the room was full of heavies, mm. and I felt like kind of a dork, you know, like that didn't deserve to be there or something. And I was just kind of trying to be quiet. We were all tracking live, like the rhythm stuff, and I was going to mm. do a day of like overdubs later there was like a moment where I just was like, fuck it, I'm just going to go for something. And it really worked, you know? It was like, it was a musical decision that, that everyone liked. And it gave me a lot of confidence. And we were yeah. doing some song a little later and I did a similar thing. Like I went for something kind of weird and the song ended, it was just completely silent. <laughs> and I, Bob and Dwight, the producer, were in the control room and I'm just sitting in there, we're just waiting. You can tell they're talking, you know? And then the thing comes on, like, yeah, Clint, uh, you really jumped the shark on that one, dude. None of us really, <laughs> none uh, of us really knew where you were going with that. <laughs> they weren't like shutting me down, but they were like, yeah, we mm. we don't quite know where to put that. We should probably move Let's on. Let's try from something. That. Else. I'm like, oh shit, you know. Yeah. Have you had a moment like that with the boys where you're like, let me do this insane thing, and then they're like, nah, not not specifically, or not that I can think of. When they like it, they say thanks, Avi. When they don't like it, they call you Augie. 
That's yeah. how you know. <laughs> That's how you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like figuring out what to do on the UFO cover was like a little like where do I like guitar wise Mando? What do I do or fit in? Um, how can I? You know, I got the I got the chorus harmony. I know what we want to do there vocally. And then J- James had the idea to try a 12 string. So that was something where I was like, I was playing on the acoustic and doing it. And we all kind of were like, I don't know. I feel like it's just too much of the same. And then he's like, why don't you, you do a 12 string on this? I was like, yeah, okay. And then it can be kind of strummier, kind of birdsy or something. Hmm. That ended up being the right move. But yeah, that's in trying to figure out what I was going to do on that song. Uh, I think that was more of a like, yeah, not Mando, not acoustic. So that that was maybe the closest on this round. How about pick the guitar that's the most the most annoying to tune? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And uh, and tune it yourself. <laughs> the uh, yeah, that's. I mean, I I don't. I have a twelve string, but I don't have a pickup in it, and it was kind of a last minute thing. So I borrowed Kirk's Godin from the twenty eighteen mm-hmm. show uh, for this. It was just on the shelf because I, I, I had stuck it up there after that. That's cool. You mentioned Greg a second ago, and someone actually asked, Sam asked, how involved is Fiddleman with this kind of event? Very, he's, he's very involved. Like he's, he's listening to it while we're playing through stuff and figuring out parts and figuring out like what the weaknesses are, you know, you know, he's, he's hearing it objectively um, where we can't. And yeah, he's there the whole time and he's there, you know, mixing the show live for the live stream. It reminds me of um, one of the tuning rooms from, I guess it was SNM two, where James is kind of working out that Unforgiven three moment, which is just him, you know. Mm-hmm. And he tells Greg, he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna do it real quick, and just watch me do it, and let me know." Mm-hmm. It's such a cool, vulnerable moment where mm-hmm. Greg just watches it. You know, it's like very professional and very like we're here to work, but also like kind of a cool little moment. I'm actually surprised they filmed it and put it out, but yeah, no, they really trust him with yeah, big time. You opinions. can tell, yeah, yeah. And he's just, he's got such great, such a great perspective on everything. I'm not sure how he manages to, you know, not only, you know, handle the engineering and mixing and everything, but also to think objectively about, you know, what would really improve this or how, what's working or not working when you just sort of like are, like when as a band member, you're like too, just in it. Too close to, to it, yeah. To tell. But yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Michael Grosvenor, you've kind of touched on this a little bit. He said, walk us through the rehearsals. So you guys like have a set of goals you're trying to achieve or is like there a day where like there's a tough song and it's like, Hey, let's tackle borderline today. Yeah. I think it's like, let's tackle, let's try to tackle all of them and not play any one of them too much, I guess was kind of the vibe. Just like, let's, let's just go through one at a time deciding what we're going to do. Try a few things that maybe we may or may not do at the show. Maybe try like a different song. I can't think of anything specific this time, but you know, it's like maybe, you know, maybe we're going to do, six acoustic songs maybe we'll do four maybe we'll do five you know but yeah it's a lot of just playing through those together but th- this one was tough because they have to switch to electric mode to kind of run the you know the heavy stuff uh so they, they had to kind of switch brains mid-rehearsal which i know is kind of a lot they were pretty long days was that pretty planned out uh i know you said that <clears throat> it wasn't you know planned out way in advance but the idea of the show was you know getting closer and stuff like that and rehearsal schedules being thrown out there was it already decided that it was going to be like a half and half set acoustic electric. I don't think that was decided until way, like way. I mean, like until probably until they asked me, I think the 2020 live stream was so fun for them and they love doing half and half. And it's a little more comfortable to, I think I would imagine to, to go, go do what they're familiar with, you know, to close it out. So I think that was, that was probably in the corner of their minds the whole time, but I I didn't really hear a final answer until I got invited. And then it was like, I think we're doing half and half. Here's, 
yeah handful that's of times. cool i totally get it too i mean the acoustic part's the more challenging part anyone who out there who's a musician will get that like to totally re- reimagine reconstruct deconstruct songs and pull it off without a lot of distortion especially if you're a metal band yeah so yeah being able being able to put a, an electric on and play creeping death is i'm sure very comforting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. to come out of the gate and do cthulhu was like hot damn y'all that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was rad. real easy on ourselves not yeah that was a really ambitious uh yeah, first electric they, song i think they killed it but yeah it was uh, <laughs> i was like oh man we're gonna go right into it here yeah for real were you around when they were deciding like stew cthulhu i mean like what was there a conversation i don't think i heard a specific conversation they may have talked earlier about which ones were on the list right amongst themselves well gerald fawn says that he loved your i made parole comment Oh, nice, James. He said, "I'm glad you could hear that. I didn't know if anyone could could hear hear that. I think the mix was good for everybody. That's that's very sweet. Yeah, I was just trying to goof around. He says you look really comfortable up there with the boys. Enjoyed seeing you in a real spotlight during the Unforgiven solo. You once again stood out on all with my hands. Great job." And he says, nice plug for the Goodnight Texas on the mandolin case. Thank you. That, hey, I wasn't going to do that. And and Lars actually came over to me and was like, you should prop this up like this. Get your band name out. I was like, all right, if you, hey. I was actually going to ask that exact question. Like, how did that happen? But that's really cool. Yeah, he walked over and like tilted it up himself. Chauncey Friend asked that too. How did it feel to have Goodnight Texas case on a stage for an international live gig? Yeah, what's it? I mean, I think people would be surprised maybe to learn the ways that it does and doesn't impact a band like Goodnight Texas to be on a platform like that, right? Like, how has that been for your band and that kind of exposure or even just to have your name on the credits in a movie theater and on vinyl and all that stuff? I mean, yeah, too. I mean, I think it definitely has raised brand awareness. A lot more people know our name exists. I think the Blacklist really was the one that did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it put us in, you know... In a room was because your cover was awesome. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, once again, that's a good opportunity to say this, y'all. Well, first of all, it was a great turnout that you were the only ones that did that song, right? That was the only version. That was a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then I got to say, man, you guys held your own with a lot of really great bands and artists on that thing. Y'all's is one of the best, easily for sure. Ah, oh, man, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm pleased with it. It's fun to play live too. We've we've busted it out a few times, special occasions. We're feeling spicy. If someone if someone really shouts it out, we'll. Uh, We'll be like, yeah. Heck yeah, why not? Play the werewolf song. Yeah. <laughs> when you come through Nashville for those days off, will you and Patrick come to my house and play it for me? Uh, we request sure. it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, please. Play it. Just in my living room. Just be, just be me and Clint and my dogs. Yeah, you want to you wanna drum it? Sure, no problem. Three or four of us will just play it. Got it. Clint, you got bass? Or... Um, I, I, you know, I'm going to choose to just be a fan and listen. Is that cool? Okay. All right, sure. I'm just going to lay down on listen. the floor naked and... Yeah. Um, <laughs> And just enjoy it. We'll fly Rob out for that one then. Andrew Butsella says, so cool to hear an overlooked track like All Within My Hands get reimagined and become a live staple. Are there any other Metallica songs that come to mind that you think would be exciting to rework acoustically and shine a spotlight on? And then he basically says he he's voting for Where the Wild Things Are. We did have a conversation recently where you were you were listening to Reload just for some work stuff and kind of texting me and getting excited about some of the songs. I mean, that's kind of where I go. There's a lot of those songs on that those two records that that are just really cool and yeah. would be would sound great in the acoustic part. Yeah, in an acoustic uh, light. Um, I love uh, until it sleeps. And James has done that by himself. They think they've probably done it acoustic at some point um, together. But yeah, I think the first time I saw him do the benefit Fillmore show with hey, Sammy Hagar, he uh, he did that, and I was like, man, that's a great song. Just every time I hear it, I'm like, yeah, that song, man, it's a great song. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I agree. 
that would be cool. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's a lot. I, I, I think one song that I, when, I think I was texting you this because I was, I hadn't really like stopped to like focus on this song. Great song is Ronnie. Yeah, like love that song. I, I did. I mean, I've heard it before, but I like didn't really like stop to listen to the the, war, the story that's in it, and certainly the riffs are, you know, like gold. Anytime James plays a Telecaster, I think is a good day. I love that Waylon stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's great. Yeah, and kind of a fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even really know what he's. I mean, I, I don't know if that was kind of a Columbine type, you know, kid kid on the wrong side of the tracks goes a little nuts. That's kind of seems what Ronnie's to be what Ronnie's about, but the delivery and it's creepy and he kind of talks through some of the verses and I love that song. It has some like cowboy folklore in there too. That yeah, it's cool to hear him tell stories like that. I know, I know, I love it. I agree. But yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll, uh, I'll think about that. There's probably there's definitely more songs that I think would be. You know, cool acoustic. Do you have the kind of vibe with them? I'm kind of going a little off script here. Uh, like, let's say that you were like me, a, a total reload nerd, and you were like, look, man, I love Fixer. Well, Fixer's already on their radar, but something like Where the Wild Things Are to take as example. Do you have the kind of vibe with them where you could kind of float that out into their world and be like, eh, what if... Like, I know Rob, when Rob joined the band, Rob was pretty instrumental in getting some of those, like, old thrashier songs unearthed a little bit, like... I think Rob was actually a big impetus for them getting them to do "Spit Out the Bone," which ended up being I love that song. Definitely a fan a fan favorite on the tour. Love that song for sure. Yeah, I I, I don't know if I would say that I would go pitch an idea like that. I don't really yeah. think that's my place particularly. Like it's, right. you know, it's their creative project. But I you know, I, if they were to ask, I'd be be glad to help. I mean, for the for the Fillmore show in 2016 with James, he asked me if I had any thoughts on what to play, and so I made up a little version of of uh motor breath, breath yeah for for that show and he was like this sounds cool let's try to do it this way which was f- super cool it's cool but yeah I, I i it's like one of those things like i'd be open to it but i'm not gonna like step in the way or try to you know you know impose something like that on, on the guys do you guys know who the artist mindy smith is yeah i know her she had a big song called come to jesus i used to i used to sit in the parking lot in birmingham of my i worked in a guitar store and i hated it and I would mm. sit in the parking lot and just dread walking in. I would just dread it. Her first record was out. This is a million years ago. I'm just a kid in Birmingham in a cover band. I used to think, man, if I could just play guitar for Mindy Smith, you know? Fast forward however many years later, and I'm, you know, touring with her just through oh, nice. through that stuff. And I never told her, you know? I never... It was weeks, or maybe even months, before I was like, I'm a huge fan, you know? Like, So we would open with that. Mm. We opened with Come to Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were so many nights where I was just on the side of the stage, almost like watching the concert as a fan, you know? It's interesting, the dynamic of you can get close to an artist or a band, and but that still doesn't... Yeah, you still got to put it somewhere where it goes. And I I don't think they would be negative. If I I were to do that, I'm sure they would be super friendly about it. But I I just, I don't know. That's not really like my my (laughs) vibe in that that situation. I don't know. For sure. Just kind of personal uh, preference, I guess. That I'm just just don't ever suggest escape. Yeah, <laughs> and you'll be fine. I did that on my solo record. Yeah, you covered it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You did say yeah. James heard it, right? James did. James hear James it, right? heard it. He sent me some nice things about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was was that on hindsight? It was on hindsight. Yeah, yeah. I threw it on there. Hindsight's basically obvious. We were talking about this before we uh, started rolling, but that was like kind of your. It's not a COVID record, but it's a record you made. Yeah. kind of during lockdown. I think it is. I think it's like a it's a pandemic record for sure but a lot of the songs were like your first batch of songs in the song game which i i love about yeah that recording 
bunch of them were, and a bunch of them were the actual like like I didn't even remix them. I just it's what you turned in, from what I turned in. You know, that's cool. Yeah. Some of them I read. That's what's really fun about that about that song game. The the fun thing for me. So we, me and Clint and Johnny, our bass player, Clint basically sends us the same prompt he sends you. So we have like a little side, oh, yeah, a little side e- one. email going. Yeah. So we're like we like week nine or ten now. But like you know, after a few weeks, I'm like. Well, I guess I'm going to make a record. You know, it's like I, I I have that in the back of my head now. Like, a, like I'm going to have such a big pot of songs to choose from yeah. in the not too distant future. You know, so that's that's it's just an exciting part of the challenge of writing a song every week. Yeah, you end up with this stuff. You start seeing like patterns and how your brain is creating in certain waves and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're like, oh, I guess maybe I'm working on like a bigger thing here. There's you know, <laughs> right. I, just the just the act of forcing yourself to sit down and do it. Is great. I didn't have time this last mm-hmm. Tuesday because of all this, but uh, so I missed a week. But I try, I try to, I try to put in both prompts I missed into one song if I if I do turn it in. With the yeah, that's week. usually a sign of good faith if you miss a week. Yeah, Just cram them both in. I think I'll do that this. I think I'll do that this week. I was thinking about doing like a little side one with Pat and my band too. Just just like send him the, the prompt and. Well, you know the one you're in is a side one that. So there's the big group. That's true. That... It's this. It is a side one. Yeah. And we started this. We started that one for Derek, our friend Derek Barr. Uh, yeah. Derek, Derek had wanted to come in, and I hit up Bob, and the group was just too big. And he said, "But I'll start a side one, just me, you, and Derek." And we did that, just the three of us, for months. And then, yeah, I think you got. I think you might have been the fourth one to come in that group. There was a couple other people in it. Or was Rachel in there? Not yet at the time. She is now, though, because but... she's in there now. Yeah. Um, she's great. She's the shit. Yeah, she's great. Alex Moss from Black Angels was in there. Yep. When I joined, and Steve Poltz. Yeah, Poltz. Yeah. Interesting. All right, a little tangent on that. Okay, Cosmo Moore says, Avi, really appreciated your backing vocals on these shows. Nothing else matters if the virtual Salesforce pandemic show stands out, along with Unforgiven at the Masonic. How much instruction do they give you, which we've already kind of answered, or do they know you sing pretty and trust you to do your thing? They they know you sing pretty. I think they trust me to do my thing at this point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. They, I think if they heard something they didn't like, they would they'd be like, eh, why don't we try? But that hasn't really been the case. I, I think. Yeah. I'm really trying to fit into it and and enhance it and not stand out too far in any situation. That's the move. Joe Lundblade says you talked before about having to run to Guitar Center the day of the show for pick strings, etc. Any crazy things you had to run to get the day of this show? He says spray paint for the Goodnight Texas stencil. LOL. <laughs> What did I? I did need some something. Oh, you know, actually, no. This this wasn't something I needed from the store. This was just a fun name droppy uh, backstage tidbit. Was uh, they didn't they didn't have uh, they didn't have a uh, backstage amp for Saint Vincent. Ah. So she was she was so she was going to go in the tuning room with them and and you know run run the song. And uh, I happened to have in my pedal board case uh, like milk my my buddy owns this company called Milkman Amplifiers that are awesome. And he let me borrow his like prototype Milkman the amp. It's like a pedal, but like a whole tube amp, like in a pedal. And I like had it in my case, and I was like, "Oh, I'll just go get it." So I like ran up and got it, and like set it up in the tuning room for her to use. Yeah, I don't know if she likes it or not. I didn't get to talk to her, but <laughs> there's actually another question. Actually, the next question, which leads into this, so I'll ask the question, then we'll talk about it. So Christopher Urges, mm. Metallic Claws himself says. 
this show was a big step up in venue production from the first one, which it was. I was amazed at how like oh yeah, so much mm-hmm. bigger than than the other one. It was like an arena. I mean, it was like it's like seven thousand, seventy five hundred people or something. Because the Masonic, what's the cap there? Like a thousand? I want to say like eighteen hundred. Okay, thousand or something. Yeah, this looked huge. Yeah, for sure. But he says, did you have any nerves knowing there were people like Tom Morello in the audience? So yeah, you've got your St. Vincent's, your Tom Morellos. I didn't know they were there. I did. I didn't get to see the first. I, I guess apparently he was on like an interview thing beforehand, but I, I was sort of busy running around and warming up and, you know, whatnot. So I, I kind of didn't know everyone who was there, with the exception of Robert Downey Jr., who I saw beforehand mm-hmm. um, and found out he was going to, like, introduce the band. <laughs> he didn't know until he got there? I didn't. I mean, oh, I, didn't, didn't, I know. didn't really know. I didn't really know. I mean, yeah, he, it was... It was uh, I mean, everything was... I knew Jimmy Kimmel would be there. Is he, like, a friend of the band's? Like, I was surprised that he was... I think they get along, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they're close in any way. But. Right, right. They've done some of the more unique performances on his show, though. They did like that one from Griffith Observatory. They did the thing that, like Van Halen did, where instead of like the Jimmy Kimmel stage, they like shut down the, the Hollywood Boulevard. You know, um, but they're also a massive band, so uh, I'd imagine they're you know somewhat cordial or tight. So was Tom Morello yeah. there just just hanging? Yeah, he was hanging. I guess he did like a uh, award show style introduction thing or interview um but yeah he was he was backstage afterward and he he came up to me and was like good job man <laughs> i was like dude no way <laughs> <laughs> he's a super nice guy he is a nice guy and i was like oh can i like tell you something and I, I was like oh man i'm he's gonna oh you did it you did it what'd you say there's this song i i co-wrote with a friend of mine that he ended up playing guitar on and 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 i was like oh this there's the song by leah rose like I, I co-wrote with with my friend leah and you ended up playing guitar on it and it turned out awesome and He's like, oh yeah, man, thanks. So he was very, he was very friendly. I thought you were gonna be like, dude, remember Bomb Track? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your whammy pedal, how do you set your whammy pedal? How do you make those sounds? Yeah. How do you make the weird sounds? I actually like years ago when I was working for Kings, they were really tight with him, and he would come to a lot of shows. And there was a time at the Hollywood Bowl when I was playing with them that I literally the main room where everyone was hanging in was just so crowded. And so my wife and I and one of the other techs were hanging in the hallway and Tom Morello kind of came out of the room and just chilled with us for like an hour. That's right. And it got to the point where I could, I could be like, okay, I'm not going to say remember bomb track, but I did want to share with him like, Hey, one of my most favorite shows in my lifetime was seeing the evil empire album release show, blah, blah, blah. Remember bulls Parade? Remember that dude. But he was, you can tell like, it wasn't one of those, it, it was like way into our conversation. So it wasn't one of those things like, Oh, I got to get out of here from this guy. He was genuinely excited. Like he's like, "Wait, where was that again?" And like, really wanted to know details about it and stuff like that. He just couldn't be kinder. Yeah, he's super friendly and talkative, and I, he would he would make a great. Uh, does he have a podcast? I don't know. He's got a great radio voice. He does have a great radio voice. He and he's he's. I mean, obviously, super smart, politically activated. You know, in, yeah, intense sure. pro from the po- protest tradition. But like, he inducted Kiss into the Hall of Fame. He gave a great speech, like induction speech, and mm. smart dude, fun dude, funny. Interesting. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think he only went to Harvard, though. Oh. Well, I take a lot of that back. What a loser. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott Marshall says, I wonder how your roles developed throughout your time with the band. Is it similar to an organization? Do you have some sort of review at the end of the year? Is there any discussions within about what you do? Is there stability around your role? Blah, blah, blah. How do you manage that? So you have an interesting dynamic because you, you work there and work for them, but you also have your your artist stuff going on sounds like they're really cool with you going on tour and floating in and out of that world but yeah just doing doing my own thing what about future stuff with them there there's no 
we uh, no discussing that particularly. No, uh, yeah. there's not like plan. These these things kind of come together, and they'll decide what they want to do, and then they'll be like, yeah, let's inv- invite him. But it's not like uh, you know, next time we do this, you know, it's uh, it's just take it one one show at a time, I guess, in that regard. Someone did ask, mm-hmm. what was your favorite? Uh, other than the songs you played on, did you have a favorite song last night? Other than the ones I played on, yeah. Did you were you able to like watch the electric set at all? Yeah, yeah, a little, a little bit. For the first part of it, I was like getting ready, tuning my mando and stuff to go back for all of them. Or, l- or let's even just bring the whole thing into it. Like, what was your favorite moment? What was your favorite performance that it did include you? I love playing Unforgiven. I could just play that song for you know. It's, it's like a desert island song for me. That was a highlight of the evening for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Just feels great. I feel I don't know. We, that one's easy to lock in on. Feels natural. Just the song itself is so fantastic. What's that guitar that Kirk's playing? Is that a Godin also? Wasn't it one of the one of the uh, it's, acoustic sonics? It's, yeah, it's or a whatever? Fender acoustic sonic. It's like a custom one that he got. Like, it's like a jazz master shape, but it's an acoustic electric, right? He's got his inlays in it. Okay, cool. that's cool. Yeah, because he can get a little more sustain out of that thing. Yeah, uh, for for leads and stuff. You can treat it more like an electric. I, actually, I think on Unforgiven though, he played he played that white twelve string, the twelve string, yeah, the auction guitar, which that was badass too. A Ouija, yeah, a, a white Ouija twelve string, dang. Yeah, we got it. he. I think we got it at the at the place, and he was like, "Dude, this is so awesome." That's so like, cool. That's the auction guitar. It's not yours. Yeah. Like, he, he was the one who bid on it, actually. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the good news is he won it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you also get that moment in that song where you get to play. You know, I, I would say "Unforgiven" is Metallica's most iconic solo. So. Oh my God! I know. That was an example of one where I just learned that, and I was like, "I'm just gonna try this cold in rehearsal." And Kirk was like, "Yeah." He was all into it, so it was like, all right, I'll, let's do it together. He's like, I'll come over by you at the Masonic show. That was just like, I thought maybe they'd be like, mm, nah. No one solos in this band but us. Yeah, stay in your lane, Augie. They're into Augie. it. Augie. <laughs> Augie. <laughs> I need to go and make sure he really did call you Augie, because if he didn't, then this is all for naught. That's right. You check it. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I need to check the tape. In fact, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the listener do that. Will someone please confirm whether or not Howard Stern called our friend Avi Agi? Yes, at any point. Because if he did, that's just so amazing. All right, so there's a handful of questions here that are not necessarily about the show. Is there anything else about the show that we're cool. kind of leaving out? I mean, it was a great success. It was very cool. Oh, well, let's talk about uh, them debuting the new song. Sounded great. There was a yeah. Little... I was gonna say yeah. well, that that was probably a highlight for me. Was hearing you know yeah hearing them play a song for the first time and hearing them rehearse a song for the first you know for the first time too and it was like what well, you know. This is cool. Uh, just to hear it, because I mean, I was there, you know, in the studio with them while they were developing a lot of these things. Right. But then to hear it actually turn into one that they do together is is pretty cool to to witness. It's cool. I thought, other than like the the ride symbol, whatever happened with the snafu of the ride coming off, or I I don't know what happened. He called Jimmy over there after the false start. I didn't but... see that. Yeah, someone else mentioned that. I didn't see that. Yeah, when I when I when I was watching it live, like I I couldn't really tell what happened, but then I th- th- somebody had posted just that song on YouTube or something, and basically the boom stand of his ride kind of just collapsed, yeah. and so 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 or his China or whatever went down, and so they, he just went ahead and stopped it, you know. There you go. But other than that, it sounded great. And man, Jan- I was a little not worried. Words the wrong word. I was hoping that that big long note in the chorus would be as powerful live as it is on the recording, and it sounded great. That's such a high note. It is. <laughs> his <laughs> voice is so crazy. Is that A? Is that a high A? Whoopsie that's fucking wick. Yeah, I guess it is an A, but that's that's yes, G, yeah, that's like G sharp above what I can do. G sharp live. Yeah, I guess G sharp live. Yeah, but we've done we've done four four or five acoustic EPs where we've taken their songs and done them in all different ways, and 
It's been actually really surprising how difficult it has been to take James's stuff and kind of reappropriate it. It's mm-hmm. his voice is unusual in some songs. Like even a song that I've heard so many times that I'm like, oh, I could sing that. I've seen that in my car. When you start putting it all together, you're like, whoa! It's the verses are really low, the choruses are really high. Yeah, he's got a big range. Yeah, very big range. He might be the Mariah Carey of metal. An eight octave range. That's right. Let's see. I guess we kind of covered the show. You helped St. Vincent get an amp. That was cool. Now you guys are going to be best friends forever. I wish. He, she had a really cool tech, too, who was, like, super nice. Um, and they, they she, I was, I got to, like, kind of look at her amp a little bit, her, her rack back there. A lot of pedals and yeah. stuff. She's a gear nerd. Her sound yeah. is, oh, my God. She's so good at guitar. Holy she's shit. amazing. That was another highlight for me, for sure, was her coming out on Nothing Else Matters. Man, I thought she did great. That was probably a highlight. Yeah, I'd probably call that my highlight, because I'm, I'm a big fan of hers, and hearing her take on it was was you know really fun and to hear them to hear james do harmonies with her too is kind of cool for sure anytime you watch these dudes these like classic frontman dudes take a break and let someone else sing and then they start getting on like bgvs it's always fun to see yeah it's always fun to see like what their intuitions are they always seem to love it yeah it's got to be real weird what was the backstage vibe like was it was it pretty frenetic was it pretty wild it was it was busier than normal because you know it's a lot of lot of guests and speakers and it was cool. It was cool to have like the Greta Van Fleet guys were back there. Yeah, just kind of being, being band being, guys, being yeah, being twenties. You know, drinking a beer, walking around, being it was it was it was cool. It was good energy. Um, I I really cool. I like them. I I've, I had never seen them live or really did. I didn't really know their stuff before this, but I got to talk to them a little bit. They were really sweet. That's cool. Like, do what kind of mandolin? And, is and yeah, his man, his voice live is like inhuman. I don't even know how how he has the range he has or what notes he's hitting or what I, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. It was crazy to hear him even like during just their sound check. It was just like, what the hell? Do they have a rapport <laughs> with the band? Cause I just noticed they work together a lot. So I didn't know if that was a, uh... they've played, they've played together before. I know they know each other. I didn't know if that was maybe like a label or a management thing. Like we're all kind of on a roster. We're all working together. Or I didn't know if metallic, if maybe Lars was a big fan or something, you know, that might be the case. They might be managed by the same. I'm not, positive but which is pretty common i mean we were out with luke Combs most of this year and we're all we share a label and it, it all makes sense yeah. but i was just curious about the fit you know i think it's you know just makes sense musically and yeah and they're and they're they're cool and they're definitely buzzing and blowing up i mean they did snl i mean they're they're huge no they're huge. Yeah, they're huge they definitely can bring tickets to the table i mean not that metallica really needs that but if we're thinking about the business of selling out two stadiums a, a, a weekend for two years, you know, mm-hmm. I can see why they want Pantera, the Great of Infleets, the Slipknots. I mean, it helps, you know. Yeah. Okay, a few questions that not necessarily about the show. Cool. Stan Pearl says, do you work in any other artistic mediums than music? And if so, can you tell us about them? Oh, not really. You don't have an NFT business? I don't, I don't have. I'm not selling NFTs. Not yet. I, I like photography. I mean, but you know. I used to, when I would travel, I'd bring like a nice camera and do like travel photography. And that was always really fun. But I haven't had much of a chance to do any of that. Do you ever do any of the like creative design or layout for any of your records? I, I definitely know what I'm looking for, but I can't do it myself. Less Augie, more Avi. There you go. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, my, my wife is an unreal graphic designer. One of the best in the in the biz. Which, by the way, shout out to Danny. I don't think the last time you were here, you guys were even engaged. So, congrats again on that. Could be. Yeah. You um. You've si- you've since gotten uh, married and you, got married. you bought yeah, a you bought a house. Like you. We got a we got a place. We got a yeah. we got we got a dog. Man, so we're 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 doing doing what we uh, 
doing what we can, living the dream. But yeah, we're we're it's she's the best person I've ever met, and an in-house graphic designer for you. I mean, yeah, that's true. I <laughs> I don't I don't take that for granted, and and no, I'm not gonna pitch. I'm not gonna tell her to do everything. And and yes, I do uh, buy her dinner uh, for it from any restaurant occasionally, or give her money Perfect. or whatever. I mean, she, yeah, she's too good to be doing you know some fucking bands albums what kind of work does she primarily do like logo redesign for big big companies she'll work on ad campaigns for stuff she she did a a like a reebok cardi b campaign last year last cut earlier for like two two years direct a photo shoot and how to lay it out and make the whole the whole campaign make sense from the fonts and the colors you would use and giving guidelines for how to put things together and how to do social posts and things like that for you know, big companies. So she she did all that for like Cardi B and uh, and Reebok, and she she like re she revamped like the Remax logo. Oh wow! Like there, if you see a Remax logo these days, it's and it's like updated from like when it you know the '90s and 2000s. Like that was her new logo. Nice with the slash, like cutting out part of the E and the M mm-hmm. or whatever. My dad worked in real estate, so I know that logo well. But next time there I see go. him, I'd be like, I know her. Yeah, she's yeah she's she is the best human being. Mark Faber has an interesting question for you here. I'm interested in this answer. Is there anything as a musician that you struggle with technically, no matter how much you work at it? Oh, yeah. Saxophone oh, comes to mind for you. Yeah. I know you play a lot of alto sax. I mean, certainly, yeah. I, I definitely can't play that shit. Bowed instruments, I, I, it's just not. I, I really, I know what I want to hear and, and I, how I think it should happen, and it's never exact. I, can, I can't play violin. Have you tried? I've tried, yeah. I got a violin to, to just kind of... Like I, you know, I can maybe if I sit there for a while, I can like drone it. But like the hand motion thing, I it's can't. a lot harder than it looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, mandolin. Like I can't play mandolin like a normal bluegrass dude. Like I don't. I still play it like a guitar. I do pull offs and hammer ons and shit. And like that's not a, that's not like really part of. There's a lot of like like the fast picking mandolin thing. Like I can't. I'm not good at. I'm not really good at any of that. I mean, I can like kind of fake it, I guess, but. You played a lovely mandolin, and Ethan played on my song too. My song Albatross on my first album, Vampire. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was good That's enough right. for my solo album. It's I kind of play it in its own weird way though. Like yeah. I, I play with my thumb, like uh, yeah. for everything, including the mandolin. So I can get some weird chords out of it and a lot of droney open shit that maybe other folks w- who don't play with their thumb wouldn't get. That to me is kind of a fun thing about learning other instruments in a non-traditional way. Like you know, like like I'm not like a. I guess they're in the chicken picking category. I'm not that kind of a player when it comes to lap steel. Mm-hmm. I was even even talking to Chris Stapleton's pedal steel player, who's like a legend in in the pedal steel world and session world. Yeah, and I was even asking him just some, he's kind of picking his brain. Like, I'm like, man, like I, I've I've never found finger picks comfortable, and so I've never learned how to play it. He goes, who cares? Don't play with them then. Yeah. And this little simple things like that where I kind of have that mindset already, but yeah, I like playing things like, like, you know, if, if a purist were to watch me play lap steel or watch you play a mandolin, they might be like, ew, you know? Yeah. But it's, it be kind of, you kind of make it your own and kind of becomes your own thing. Yeah. There, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's pure ways of doing it. And then the, I guess, I mean, in some ways I think learning it yourself in your own weird ways, maybe the purest way to, to learn an instrument mm-hmm. as far as like, tra- you know, traditional, like watching people like Chris Thiele and Sierra Hull and do their thing. <laughs> Chris like, is okay. I, I could never. I mean, I guess if I dedicated like decades to it when I was younger, I could have gone that direction. But but I'm okay not not need, not being able to do that. I'm not looking to do that. I'm looking to just kind of have it suit what I'm trying to create. Right. That's what a mature musician will do. I mean, I spent a lot of my early twenties trying to be 
everything to everyone. Yeah. This town will do that to you because you you might be playing a country gig one day and a rock gig the next day or whatever. But yeah. One of the things about getting older is realizing what you can and can't do and just accepting it. Like it's like you just said, you could do the ten thousand hours trying to be Chris Thiele, but is that ten thousand hours at this stage of your career better suited playing fast on mandolin or writing better songs or learning outboard gear or learning how to record yourself better? It's like mm-hmm. Where are you going to put that time? Where's the best use of that time? Like, I'm not going to play yeah. like I'm not going to play like Prince at this point. You know, when I was a kid, I was like, maybe one day I can play like Prince. Well, that's just not going to happen. I play like me. I sound like me. Right. Yeah. And any and any time that I used to spend as a kid trying to sound like Prince, that time is reallocated now into trying to write my best songs, trying to you know play guitar the way I play it the best. Right. Yeah. As I grew up and learned what I really genuinely loved about music, I found that it was not you know, virtuosity, it was exactly. songwriting, it was production, it was suiting the music and the song and trying to, you know, fit in into the puzzle. And that's sort of what's, you know, become most important to me. And I think I can achieve that well enough with my abilities um, to do what I'm picturing for the most part. Um, I wish I was a better drummer, too. I can drum, but I'm not, not, not everything. I can drum like three types of beats and do them in a cool weird meg whitey kind of vibe way uh and just hit hard and and i i love doing that a lot but i wish i was a better drummer maybe santa claus will give you that for christmas this year uh, sure yeah. um well speaking of all this tyler ambrosiak says you're clearly a very versatile musician but let me ask you this if the boys said they're playing low man's lyric at the next all within my hands event will you be ready to play the hurdy gurdy yes absolutely they probably would yes, tap absolutely. you to play that part, and I bet you could play that part. I probably could. Down, da, 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 da. You, well, you know what? Even if you couldn't it's do it on Hurdy Gurdy, yeah. I'm sure you could arrange it for a mandolin or something. It would be great. Maybe so, yeah. I did at one point say, like, hey, if you guys buy a Hurdy Gurdy, I'll learn how to play it. Oh, you told them that? <laughs> yeah. No one no one said anything. But uh, That's when they called you Augie. They said, okay, Augie. All right, bud. I love that you floated that out. That see, that's possible. That's you're creating. You're making. I think it I said it. I think I said it to. Gre- I said it to Greg. Yeah, yeah. Does Greg even know that song? Yeah, 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 yeah. Does he know like their deep he shit their that catalog. he wasn't a part of? How he does? He knows their catalog really well. Yeah, I think because he references stuff. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I can't remember where I've seen this. It's buried in probably a Stefan Shirazi like so what article. But first of all, they played Low Man's lyric like almost every show of that poor retouring me tour. James really loved it. He had to have because he played it. And then I saw an interview with him where he said something like he was really hoping that song would have somehow kind of turned into a kind of Nothing Else Matters Part 2 vibe. Obviously, it's Mm. not that song. It's a lesser song. But the acoustic, heartfelt, you know, guy fucked up song. And he did some interview where he's like, yeah, this never really happened. I kind of wanted it to. I, I sort of tried to play it like it was that. Because they used to do that moment in that tour mm. where they would do an acoustic Four Horsemen. They would do like an acoustic. Oh, yeah. And then they would always play Low Man's Lyric. It was a big moment. Mm-hmm. For a kid like me, I was always like, yes. But anyway, a little interesting tidbit. Okay, a few that, more questions that's great. here. Didn't know that. Sam Picot says, had you not gone down the path of being a professional musician, what do you think you might be doing for a living? Mm. Which is pretty good. Pretty good question. That is a pretty good question. God, it's so hard to even imagine uh doing anything else with my I'm in the same boat if I didn't have any sort of musical ability I think I'd want to work in music in some way I really enjoy like the roadie side of things and the like logistical you know tech side of stuff I mean I'm not great at you know I can set up a guitar pretty you know pretty well and 
I'm not like a repairman. I, I wouldn't, you know, try taking something apart and putting it back together. What are the chances of you going on the road with them next year? That's not something I've ever really been. It's tough to to be in a. You, I wouldn't be able to be in Goodnight Texas and commit to something like that. So I've right. always kind of just been like, I'm a studio guy, and I love that role. Yeah, it's cool. So that's I did years ago, like in like oh eight oh nine. I would go out if they were in a place for more than a couple of days. I would go out and like do inventory update, you know, lists with new gear or, or whatever. So I, I've done a little bit of that with them. And then on the 3D movie, I worked also on that. Just like subbed in for a guy. Went to Canada and Mexico. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's the, uh, not really my, my objective is. I know a lot of people in the discord were expressing interest in seeing the new all within my hands electric version being featured and you being a part of that which i gotta say the new version of all within my hands sounds like a load era metallica mm. which i which, mm, which I pleased me deep muchly i think it, it sounds cool on electrics i think just that chorus is is dope i think i prefer it i really do yeah it's kind of a kind of a hot take it's a brand new thing i'd never heard it before but i kind of think that's my favorite version of the song there, there you go yeah same which is shocking because the acoustic version is so goddamn beautiful all right Derek Nineman says, I loved your beautiful rendition of A Wolf and Man. If there was another Metallica song for you to put in your own style, which would it be? Chris Matthew Vetter asked the same thing. Is there a song you've always wanted to play of Metallica? Yeah, that's right. So, we were talking about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I did do Escape on yeah. my solo record. At one point, I recorded a version of, of Bells, just like a weird little like electric guitar. I did this weird album in 2017 where it was just all coming out of an amplifier like sang into a bullet mic and out of the amp and did it mostly was just like reverbed out electric kind of bedroom shit um and i did a weird version of uh room the bell tolls on there is that available to hear anywhere yeah it's on spotify just under your name yeah it's under my name sounds like some lou reed shit it's in there yeah <laughs> it's, it's weird for sure <laughs> i'll get back i'll get back to you about that there's yeah. definitely more for sure uh that i love linda thomas says now, she used a different word for this. She said, if you could steal any guitar from HQ, which would it be and why? I'd change it to borrow. Because you're, you're of course, not stealing anything from your employers. But uh, is there yeah, any instrument not. there that's, like, uh, just laying around that you're like, damn, I would love to play that on a gig or take home for a couple of days? I mean, greeny. Greeny, yeah. <laughs> no, I... Uh, so you're saying Greeny's just laying around the studio. <laughs> I've had the pleasure of playing Greeny, and he's let me play it. I've tuned it. I put strings on it one time, which was really crazy. I get nervous around guitars like that. The um, yeah, man. Mm -hmm. We did cool. some shows with uh, Brothers Osborne, and that dude travels with a bunch of '59 Les Pauls. And God, what? the tech is a buddy of mine, and he was like, "Hey, you want to play it? You want to you want to play it for your sound check?" That's fun. And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I do, but I kind of don't because what if the strap pops off? You know, like wow, I don't want to owe him. I don't want to owe him three million dollars, you dude. know, or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah." Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I've, I, I, I gotta, I actually have, I'm currently borrowing that Godin I have to bring back, uh, I'm going to bring back tomorrow or maybe, That's late, cool. maybe nice. later today. It just yeah. ended up with my gear cause it was, I played it at the show. I mean, they got a lot of, they they have some, some, definitely some cool stuff at the studio. Kirk, Kirk plays some, he'll break out some like cool strats and things for rehearsal sometimes that are, that are beautiful. I know they have a very eclectic guitar collection other than kind of what we're used to seeing them play live. I know that. James and Kirk both collect cool guitars that are not like metal guitars. Yeah. I think they're a good investment too. Like they kind of hold their value and go up. Which I feel like Kirk, Ethan, maybe you can remind me, but I feel like on the World Wired Tour, Kirk was playing a Strat a lot. Like he played a Strat on Nothing Else Matters every night. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, shoot, even back in the day, I mean, I think it was an ESP model, but I mean, uh, was it ESP? In the one video, yeah. he's playing a strap. Yeah, um, it's an ESP. May not be. Yeah, I think that's Edna. I think that's a Fernandez. Yeah. Uh, Fernandez, that's what, yeah. Does he still have that guitar? It might be in a museum. I'm not sure exactly where that is right now. But yeah, he still he still owns it, uh, I think. I think I think actually I I'm not sure sometimes he's had he's given some stuff away to friends and things, but mm-hmm. well, so much of their stuff really is spread around in different museums and stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure there's a system an inventory system where everything's sort of accounted for, but for the most part are a lot of those old classic like guitars that we recognize from the years just laying around HQ. Yeah, yes. They I mean they still record with I mean James will still record with the the V, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and you know and not the replica. And the explorers from that era too, the like Eat Fuck Explorer and the More Beer Explorer and the So What Explorer. Those are always hanging on the wall behind them when they're Yeah, they're in they're they're kind of in there and See, those are the guitars that I would go to first if I if, if if I was invited to HQ like, "Hey, go ahead and, you know, play whatever you want." I would I would go straight to those cream white Explorers. Yeah, it's one of those like I I don't know if I'd want the responsibility of uh worrying about them, but yeah, that man. They uh <laughs> they're yeah, they're they're gorgeous. They're just the, the patina on them is like just it's just been through mm-hmm. some shit and it's it's beautiful. Totally. There's two more questions and then we'll we'll let you go. We'll let you get that guitar back to old Kirky Poo. <laughs> Chris Fierger says the boys, meaning Metallica, want to cover Goodnight Texas for their next acoustic gig. What song are you picking and why? Ooh, like what would I hear them doing? Well, what if they came to you? Like, what if the next? What if today Lars says, "Hey, put your case on stage," and then the next day he says, "Let's cover a Goodnight Texas song." Like, yeah, what are you? <laughs> Wow. What do you think we should do? First of all, you're picking one of yours and not your other guys, first of all. You're not going to give them one of his. I, I guess my, my stuff tends probably to lend more towards being heavy or being interpreted. Yeah, heavy, your, stuff's, your stuff's like kind of the darker stuff, right? I guess, I guess so. I mean, not not across the board, but like for the most part, but not entirely. Yeah. Well, do you have a song in mind? We have a song called Knock em Stiff that's like pretty heavy with like a switches from 6-8 to 4-4 four, four, halfway through to this like heavy section for the end of the song i could definitely hear that on electric guitars it's on a baritone normally that's a good choice i, I would like to hear them do yeah that I, I definitely yeah. I, could, I could definitely hear a heavy heavy band covering that um, all right l- last question play. is from namarta kalia who was at the gig by the way she was actually at oh, the, she was there uh, nice the what was that place called the microsoft microsoft Arena? theater i theater. think it's, it's where they do the emmys and stuff and was it right next to um, Staples? Crypto.com? Yeah, right next to the, to, <laughs> right next to the, the Crypto.com <laughs> arena. I know. Yeah, whatever. Crypto.com arena. Center. Last question from Namarta. If not asked already, is Avi coming to the Metal Up Your Podcast party? Oh, I'm not going to be able to be out there, unfortunately. I was going to say, that depends on the, d- the days you have off in Nashville. It's true. It's not, it's not, it's like a week after that, uh, that we're there. Guess we're moving the party. But I got some, I, <laughs> I got some uh, I got some family shit on on the weekend before. One of these times, uh, it'll probably time out. I'd love to to come hang. Well, it was a long shot, but we would have loved to have seen you there, but we'll find some time to hang for sure. Well, thank you, dude. Thank you for taking the time and giving us yeah, a little man. insight into Always. Uh, I love talking to you guys and hope we can hang soon. Yeah. Absolutely. And Wes says hi. Hi Wes. Oh, Wes. Yeah. Well, I guess this is the point where we say goodbye. And I did. I did. I sent you a picture uh, that there is a metal up your podcast sticker on on a, a, a tuning room toolbox. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Did you put that there? Or I, Wes I, put I didn't that put it there. there. Wes might have. It's probably yeah. I've been Wes. I gave him a stack of stickers at one point. You know what we ought to try to do too is try to get um, get a flag put in the tuning room. There you go. 
I told Wes, I said, can you just throw these all over Lars's kick front <laughs> yeah. kick drum heads? And he said, I'll try. Let's see if that works. Well, you know, I mean, Avi, you know our vibe. Like, I mean, I think we, maybe the first year or two, it was like, oh, maybe one day, you know? But I think we've just surpassed the point of like not trying to be up their ass at all and really just trying to explore and celebrate their music and their career. And we've met so many awesome people that are that work with Metallica and and we've we've got our own stuff going on too musically. So it's been cool to transition out of like, oh, how can we get more like I just feel like we've really found our vibe and our people. Mm-hmm. And that feels good. Now we're yeah. just kind of settled into that. And uh I'm really glad that you're a part of it, dude. It's cool to like to have a uh like a fan based thing that's you know it, like i feel like it's really about the music like there's no like you're not trying to like like say so, i don't know some places it's like the goal is to get you know so and so on the on the show and exactly get involved with so you know it's like i don't I don't feel like you guys are doing that i don't no. think i don't think they feel like you know or their their team feels like you guys are doing that yeah i stopped emailing q prime after the 50th time so okay. <laughs> i have not done that we did email them one time like the first year but very early on yeah well cool man well i'm looking forward to seeing you again i'm looking forward to hearing your songs as always i'll hit you guys up we're in nashville definitely hopefully you're All there right. too and cool. maybe maybe we'll Oregon, be here good night texas will happen at some point i'm i'm pushing for it dude i really am with whatever Heck yeah dude i would love yeah, you that. guys are re- you guys are definitely ready to go do your own headlining national tour thing yeah, yeah. that's the spring man we're coming through san francisco too oh yeah oh that's you announced it already yeah yeah, yeah. it's a most of it's sold out yeah I'm not surprised. We'll get you half price tickets. Yeah. No, yeah. If you and Danny are in town, you guys are definitely oh, yeah. obviously going to be our guests and come oh, hang with you. us for sure. Yeah, we'll come hang for sure. All right, buddy. We'll have a good rest of the day. Get that guitar back to Kirk. Say hi to everybody over there. We'll do in your worlds. And uh, see you, we'll, dude. Uh, talk soon. All right. Ciao. Ooh, yeah. Well, there you go, Avi Vinegar, Sweetie Pie again. Sweetie Pie. He's in the Sweetie Pie Club. Give him. Give it up. I mean, I, I think be, you know Paul Moke isn't a recurring guest. Paul Moke is an, an official co-host when, when available. But is Avi's the first to, to hit the three timers club? I think that is true, isn't it? We've had a Lago on twice. Yeah, and then other than a couple of Metal Tales, like a couple buddies of the show that have you know, I think Yurgis has been on more than three times. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think he has. Yeah, Brad well, Blazik's been on more than three times. Well, we need to have maybe we need to have like like on SNL have like the five timers club make some gold jackets for everybody. <laughs> That's what, we should get some gold jackets. All right, we got some gold jackets coming y'all's way. It's like the golf. What is the jacket That's they right. give them in Happy Gilmore? Like the P, the PGA Tour. I don't know what the jackets called or anything. Right. But <laughs> some gold jackets would be nice. Well, thanks, Avi. I mean, what a treat to you know obviously get his insight into the camp, but also he's just become a good friend of ours. So yeah, such a talented guy. Everyone, go check out Good Night Texas. Uh, great band, great harmonies, great lyrics, really dark, kind of soulful Americana folk music. Yeah, they're really fantastic. And that's it. I hope everyone is having a good holiday season and uh, looking forward to seeing everyone at the party. That's right. And with that, we will bid everyone adieu. Peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>